it's time to lock in. The most amazing, sensational, dramatic, exciting, thrilling finish. Live from Mobile, Sports Radio 105.5 WNSP presents 99 yards away. Win this game for one another. The final drive with Corey Labounty and Michael Bronner. Do your job and play together. The final drive. Live on 105.5 FM and streaming on the Sound of Mobile app. I cannot believe it! Welcome to the final drive here on WNSP 105.5. Corey Labounty, along with my producer, Michael Brauner, joining you this Friday afternoon. We made it to Friday. Hope everyone has had a spectacular work week as this week we've turned the calendar into june and that just means we're closer to not only high school football but college and pro football as well and an off-season a lot of off-season work going on we'll speak with q myers today who covers the las vegas raiders and if you have not heard about the jimmy garoppolo contract that's going on it's it's a real interesting one to tie in the fact that Tom Brady's got a little stake of the Las Vegas Raiders now that he's bought into. We'll have Rick Cauley joining us at 4 o'clock, the head coach of the Davidson Warriors. He'll give us a preview of what's going on in the spring or what went on in the spring. And it's that time of year to where there are football camps galore, mega camps here and there, and you'll start seeing the Power 5 schools have the smaller schools to attend their power camps. I know South Alabama had one today at 5 o'clock. We'll talk to South Alabama's athletic director, Dr. Joe Erdman, and also scheduled to join us Gary Harris from WVUA in Tuscaloosa, Alabama. And, of course, last night, game number one of the NBA Finals in Denver moves to 9-0 and in the postseason and at home, and Michael Bronner, really no surprises last night besides the fact that Miami only shot two free throws, two free throws attempted, two made, and that tied for the fewest in playoff game, and it set a finals record for the most free throws made and attempted or the least amount of free throws made and attempted. Yeah, the previous record being three, uh, so two <laughs> two free throws attempted. I I don't know how to chalk that one up. I, I didn't think the Heat were awful last night. I mean, they did a pretty good job through three quarters creating open shots, and then we were on our way to a blowout, and then the fourth quarter they finally started making some of those open shots. You know, I think Martin and Struess were a combined, like, oh, for 15 headed into the fourth quarter, so obviously you shoot like that, you're, you have no chance to win, and it's kind of, uh, we said this throughout the Eastern Conference Finals, it's kind of a simplistic way to look at it, but you make your threes, you got a chance. You don't make your threes, you don't have a chance. So, you know, to really boil it down, because obviously, uh, you know, it's like a 24-point game headed into the fourth quarter, and, and it finishes, what, a 14-point game? You know, the Heat won the fourth quarter. They started the fourth quarter on an 8-0 run, something like that. So, you know, again, and it was really just they started making shots and, and getting a couple stops here and there. So, uh, something to build off for them headed into game two. I don't know if it's going to be this complete domination of a series because if they can make shots the way they did in game seven against Boston, for example, we'll see what happens. But, yeah, uh, if they're not, then this is going to be a sweep. 
Well, the the thing that is most disappointing, and I, I've never seen a team in the playoffs or in, especially in finals history to only attempt two free throws. It, it's not rocket science there to where you have to be and you must be much more aggressive as far as how you handle it. But some some pretty interesting comments about Jamal Murray and how he felt that they were 9-0 at home in the playoffs when he was asked about it. And Jamal Murray had a very good game last night, 26 points and 10 assists. How much satisfaction do you take in the 9-0 record at home in the playoffs? Have we lost Greenwood? No. Oh. I think we're doing a good job. <laughs> think they're doing a good job. Well, didn't really answer the question asked of him. It was a bit of a bit of a condescending answer to the reporter, but it, it you know, really whatever. was a condescending answer. But but Michael, the thing is, if the Nuggets find a way to win this, will they go down as one of the best teams of all time in regards to, with the 53 and 29 record and and you know, undefeated at home so far? But, yeah. But their postseason play, yeah. being able to sweep the Lakers away and being able to handle their business in the first and second round. And then, you know, when you look at their matchup with the Heat, I, I want a seven-game series. But how good is this Denver team compared to other teams in the past that have won the world championship? Yeah, it's a, it's a big statement to make. That, like, say they sweep the Heat. It's a big statement to say, oh, this is one of the best teams of all time. You can certainly say one of the most dominating playoff runs of all time, although they were also the one seed in the West, so obviously they had a great regular season too. I think, uh, you know, when we look back 10, 20, 30 years from now on this team, I think a lot of these teams that you consider to be some of the greatest of all time, pretty much the common denominator among all of them is the fact that they won multiple championships. So, like, let's say the Nuggets, even if they sweep this title and then don't win again in the next five years, like, no, I don't think we'll look at them as one of the best teams of all time. Now, heck, if they win two out of the next three and, and win a couple more and, and Jokic wins another MVP or something, like, yeah, you know, you could enter that territory. And, heck, they look built to do it uh, if they stay healthy. And, again, this is a, a big discussion to have when they're up 1-0 in the NBA Finals. Obviously, you know, Jokic said it last night. There's a lot of work left to be done. Uh, but certainly, uh, they have the makings to to make that happen. I, I wouldn't be shocked if five years, if you told me right now, five years down the line, the Nuggets have three rings. Well, it's also interesting, Jokic, when, when he was on the set with Shaq and along with Charles last night and Grant Hill, who he idolized and who his game was modeled after. If if you all could, could compare Jokic's game to someone, the Joker, who would you compare his game? I know he's a seven-footer, but who would you compare his game to in NBA history? Jokic. Uh, I would compare it to Jokic. There is no comparison. It, it's unbelievable. I went, like, name me another guy that passes like him, shoots like him, defends like him, scores at the rim like him. It, it, there really isn't a comparison. I, I think uh, it was Mike Breen last night. He said, uh, when has there been a guy that passes like magic, rebounds like Moses? And they, they said, whoa, 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 whoa. And, uh, and he doubled down and said, listen, I mean, I don't know if he passes like magic, but 
He's one of the best passers in the league, standing at seven foot four. He had a trick. Guess what? Guess what? He had a triple double last night. You you surprised about that? No. I mean, we call that. I mean, he's going to average a triple double in this finals series without question. But I think he was one rebound away entering the fourth quarter. 27, 14, and 10. You you show me a more unselfish player. He he doesn't care who how many points he scared, scores. He doesn't care how many rebounds he has. He doesn't care how many assists he has. If he has to take over the game, he takes over the game. And would love to hear from you guys, 251-694-1055, or you can reach us in the app. Is the Joker, Jokic, the best player in the history of the game as far as from a final standpoint and the performance, if he well, averages he's played, a he's triple played, He's played one finals game. so well, well, that's okay, too, but look at what he averaged the last series. I think so, so the question I'm proposing is, yeah. if he averages a triple-double for the conce- er, pretty much every game this postseason, for an entire postseason, will he go down and just having that? If he wins this world championship, Michael, that's one more ring. How many does Charles Barkley have? Zero. Exactly. I mean, there are some elite top 50 and top 75 all-time players that don't have a ring. And if he's able to find a way to do that and just have one, how great will he be considered? Because he he could be the three-time defending NBA MVP. Well, he's already a top. 100 top 75 player in in league history i I don't think that's even a crazy statement to make at this point but yeah you add a ring you probably vault him into the top 50 say he adds two more rings over the next five years yeah you probably throw him in the top 20 uh so he he, he's yeah man he's special Uh, what what more can can you say about the guy it's pretty just unbelievable at this point i think you'd be hard 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 pressed to argue anyone else is the best player in the league right now i think that's pretty obvious uh, it, it's not. It's not even. It's not even close. Yeah, it's that. That's really not even. A, it's almost a waste of time to debate at this point. Like right now, Jokic is far and away the best player in the but, league. But I guess you know you can come into the league and make a splash as what a lot of players do, right? But but sure. Can you remember him being in the league since 2015? Not really. I mean, and you're asking someone who's not like a, a religious follower of the NBA. So, you know, I'm sure Nick Wiggins and Steven Root can. But, yeah, I mean, it, it feels like he's really burst onto the scene in the last four years. Obviously, two, two, you could argue three of those years he uh, should have been the MVP. So, yeah, it, it definitely doesn't feel like he's been in the league since 2015. No, I mean, 47, 48 years of the franchise, and he's already considered – if not the greatest franchise player of all time, the question is, who do you give the number 15 in the banners to? Is it Carmelo Anthony or is it the Joker? I guess they'll do – I mean, they can put up two banners, but, I mean, the Joker is uh, is about to bring them a ring. So, And also, of course, this evening you do have Alabama and Auburn both on the baseball diamond and, of course, Alabama women's softball program – in that losers Fighting bracket. for their lives tonight. Elimination bracket versus Stanford. They'll play at 6 o'clock p.m. Alabama's men's baseball team starts its postseason hope against Nichols. And, of course, Auburn playing host to Penn. And Alabama and Auburn hosting 
the regionals and, and would love to find a way into the super regionals. So that's something that I think is, is, is pretty interesting also. I think softball, I think it might be the end of the road for softball tonight. We'll see what happens. I know Stanford's got that great pitcher. Alabama struggled to hit all year. Kind of feels like they're barring like a miraculous Montana Fats performance. And, you know, she is she is miraculous, but she's also probably, what, at 80, 85 percent, if you're being generous uh, with that leg injury. So, you know, it, it feels like it could be could be it tonight. For I hope I'm wrong, but, uh, you know, I it, it feels like could be the end for them. But, you know, we'll see what happens. Well, I know also yesterday divisionless SEC football. In 2024, that that part is pretty interesting to me, too. I, I think it's something that you had to do, and it went breaking yesterday as we were on the air that the SEC was going to go to divisionless football in 2024. But but how does that look, Michael Bronner? How do you think the coaches, uh, is it like, okay, well, we know that it's probably going to change in 25, 26, and we'll just roll with the punches yeah. during the first year of college football's expansion in the playoffs? Well, we've been talking about this now for really since Texas and Oklahoma, you know, that breaking news a year ago. And, you know, is the SEC going to go to pods? What's going to happen? So it seems like this divisionless format and uh, eight-game schedule, like, obviously the eight-versus-nine-game schedule is the big topic of discussion this week when really it should have been the divisionless foot the eight versus nine games kind of whatever to me it doesn't interest me all that much but uh i think the the biggest news coming out of it is like whoa texas and oklahoma are coming to 24 and there's going to be divisionless football that's kind of huge big 12 has been doing it for a couple years now and that's honestly i think how it should be and think how it always should have been uh like you know it doesn't really obviously it's worked out before when you look at like Alabama and Georgia playing in the SEC championship but like let's be realistic last season the SEC championship should have been Georgia and Tennessee uh it absolutely should those were the two best teams in the SEC throughout the season and obviously Georgia defeats Tennessee and, and Tennessee ends up losing a game at South Carolina that Hendon Hooker goes down in but you know those were the two best teams in the SEC throughout the regular season and it was not possible for them to to play each other in the SEC championship. So it always should be the best two teams in the conference playing in the conference championship. I, I've never been a huge proponent of division. Now, rivalries are a different matter, but obviously Tennessee and Alabama play every year uh, in a West versus East matchup. I just, I, I don't know. I've always thought divisions are unnecessary. I'm, I'm not really a big fan of this pod system that's proposed either. I, I think it would be better to just keep it divisionless and take the top two teams and uh, make it a nine-game schedule and keep the three-game, uh, the three permanent opponents and then six rotators. I think that's honestly perfect. That way you're playing every team in the SEC over probably five years or so it would take uh, and then playing your three biggest rivals every year anyway. So I don't know. Uh, I don't know what they're going to do in 2025. Obviously, this is not a topic that's going away, so, so get used to it because we're going to be right here sitting next June talking about this again. It's like, oh, well. Well, the SEC spring meetings again. What's on the What's on the docket? Oh, well, it's going to be the eight versus nine game schedule and divisionless football. What are we going to do? Texas and Oklahoma are actually here and have a seat at the table now. Well, it, it just means more in the SEC. They they even have to have an unveiling show, and that's what's pretty interesting <laughs> to me too. Yeah. As far as them wanting to go ahead and capitalize off of that, but also, you know, we, we just mentioned the plan will allow each SEC school to play every other league team at least once every two years. Two years. So if that is what they hold to, 
And, of course, we know there's no longer any divisions, and you just take the top two teams in the 16-team standings. You're also required to play that Power Five. I think that that is something that the SEC has really been doing, but you do have maybe those three cupcakes that are on the schedule as far as Alabama. You know, Western Kentucky is no pushover, but well, Mercer, <laughs> when you're playing Mercer. Auburn, Auburn beat the hell out of Western Kentucky last year. It, but, I mean, Mercer on, on Bama's schedule, you would much rather upgrade that schedule. I, I know Auburn fans, well, Louisiana Monroe, on the books for Auburn also. It's, again, a way for those other smaller schools to finance their athletic department. But having the big-name school, Nick Saban, as soon as he took the job, one of the things that I used to love about the kickoff classic, the Chick-fil-A kickoff classic, Mm -hmm. is you knew Bama was going to play a Power 5 school. It was going to be one of those matchups off the top rope that you were going to have a great matchup, and it could dictate – and steer the rest of your season. Yeah. And, and that's what you want to see. You want to see those great power five matchups because everybody that's a college football fan wants to tune in to LSU, Florida State. Yeah, it's not like they haven't played, you know, they played Miami in 2021. I, I guess, yeah, they played Duke in 2019. So they've played power five opponents to open up. But, yeah, I'm sure you saw that graphic yesterday, that, like SEC teams playing power five opponents too. Uh, uh, playing at least 10 Power 5 opponents, too, while every other conference has, like, 9 or 10. It, it's a tough look. Uh, I don't think, you know, it doesn't change my opinion on which conference plays the best football. I don't think anyone down here is going to disagree with that. But it's definitely not a good look and, and something that needs to be addressed moving forward. But if you're if you're clamoring to those matchups, then the traditions that are in an Alabama-Tennessee game, you, you better smoke that cigar. You might as well smoke, too, because – if it's on that rotating basis, then you'll have to put one up or go ahead and smoke as many as you can, knowing that you're going to have to wait before you play your robbery again. On the other side of this break, we'll talk to Q Myers. And there's some interesting things going on with the Las Vegas Raiders in the NFL. Jimmy Garoppolo, will he play? Won't he play? Well, I think the Raiders went all in and he may not even suit up. We'll find out what's going on from the Raiders from Q Myers next. This is Brad Nessler, and you're listening to WNSP 105.5 in Mobile. Welcome back to the final drive on WNSP 105.5. Hope everyone is having a fantastic Friday. We want to thank you for having us locked in and checking in with us here on the final drive. Michael Brauner behind the glass producing today's show. And earlier in the week, there was, of course, OTAs going on. And we had C.J. Mosley on last week talking about the Jets getting their OTAs started. And when you have OTAs that that are here, you you expect to see your superstars or as much chemistry made as possible. And our next guest can tell us all about what's going on with the Las Vegas Raiders and their chemistry. Our man Q Myers joins us. Your boy Q, what's going on, my man? 
Man, how are you doing, man? I appreciate you bringing me into some Kanye, and this is good Kanye. Not not crazy Kanye, but good Kanye. So I'm, I'm feeling it right now, man. Appreciate you having me on the show. Well, man. Q, he did make graduation, so. There, there you go. Right. I mean, look, you know that there's a level to Kanye, and then all of a sudden you get to a certain point, and you're like, yeah, okay. All right. But there was a time when Kanye couldn't do any wrong, so I appreciate this. This is good. Absolutely. And, and Q, he's always part-time ESPN radio host of Locked On Raiders and Locked On Bets podcast and does a tremendous job out in Vegas. And, and Q, what, what is really going on with Jimmy Garoppolo? Because when I saw that, okay, you didn't show up for OTAs, but it was due to him having surgery. Are the Raiders right. silly enough to go ahead and go all in on Jimmy Garoppolo knowing that he was going to have surgery going into OTAs and and may not even be able to suit up or how long he'll be able to suit up once he is able to be dressed. Yeah, that's the big question, right? And I think that answer depends on who you're asking and who you're talking to because head coach Josh McDaniels, who we talked to yesterday uh, during OTAs, he said, I have no anxiety, right? Nothing has changed since the minute that he got in the building to right now, nothing has changed. You guys might have anxiety, but I don't. So he's basically saying everything is on track as far as what they knew. Now, when asked, is, is he going to be ready for training camp? There was no answer because, well, he's not going to put a timeline on it. Will he be ready for the regular season? There was no answer because he's not going to put a timeline on it. So, you know what I'm saying? Like, it's really, it's a tough call. From my point of view, looking at from the outside in and just from being around the facility all the time and around the team and, again, not being privy to what's going on inside the walls. But, you know, it's just, to me, it makes me wonder, okay, would they have gone, like you said, all in on Jimmy G? Would they have not addressed the quarterback position earlier in the draft if they thought that there was a chance that Jimmy G wasn't going to be available for training camp or, worst-case scenario, wasn't available for the regular season? Like, that's what my brain tells me. But that doesn't mean that that's what they're thinking. That's just what that's just how I feel, right? Like, okay, there's no way they would have waited till the fourth round to go and draft the quarterback if, in fact, they, you know, they, they thought that there was a chance Jimmy G wasn't going to be available. But then again, right, I mean, everyone knows the history of Jimmy G. It's not like him being injured is a surprise. He's been injured his whole career. There's only been one season in his career he's played every game. So, you know, for him being injured and knowing it's from the injury he suffered with San Francisco, it's not a surprise to me. It's just it's really strange, and really we're sitting here waiting to see when he arrives. Mandatory minicamps next week. I don't expect to see him out there. And then we know there really won't be anything until training camp starts, and that's when that's when the clock starts ticking. Is he available for training camp? And if not, is he available for week one versus Denver? Q, why do you think Josh McDaniels, and I understand how he loves his former Patriots. He brought in Brian Hoyer this offseason, obviously gave Jacoby yep. Myers a sizable contract. But why do you think – he was so desperate to replace Derek Carr with Jimmy Garoppolo, who at best, if he's even on the field, could maybe be Derek Carr. That's in a best-case scenario. Right, exactly. And, and that's something that's been part of the conversation we've been having here uh, daily, right, on my local radio show. It's just like, okay, at best, as you mentioned, he's Derek Carr, the equivalent of Derek Carr. The only thing different is he understands Josh McDaniels' offense. And there was a time that came in 2022 where Josh McDaniels realized Derek Carr wasn't picking up the offense the way that he wanted him to. And then there came a time when he felt like he couldn't take him to another level in this offense where he does believe Jimmy G could do that with his familiarity and he knows what to expect from Jimmy G. And the one thing I'll say to his credit, 
Uh, I don't want to sound like I'm just going to bash them, but to Jimmy G's credit, every player that we've talked to, all the free agents like a Jacoby Myers or anyone else, you know, guys that we've talked to who cover the 49ers say the one thing you can say about Jimmy G is he's a hell of a leader and guys like playing with him. He doesn't disrupt anything. Even when you can see the writing on the wall that they were about to run him out of town in San Francisco, he still handles his business. And so apparently, and again, I haven't seen this firsthand because we haven't seen him on the field yet, but apparently everyone likes playing with him and playing for him. So we'll see how that shakes out if and when he gets onto the field. But uh, you're right. I mean, again, at the best, you're getting Derek Carr uh, 2.0, and that's only if he's on the field. The one thing you knew about D.C. is that he was going to be available all the time. Well, if he's not able to go in week one, because I think the the pressure is going to be immense from the media there Mm -hmm. in Vegas if for whatever reason – you know, you you asking him to pass a physical because to me, the physical, regardless if he's able to pass the battery of tests, the true test is going to be once you're being rushed by a 300-pound lineman or or 250-pound linebacker. What are the Raiders' backups? I know Brian Hoyer has some veteran experience, but where would this Raiders franchise go if for some reason he is not able to suit up in week one, two, or three? Right, exactly. And that's the that's the big fear, the big concern. That's the worst-case scenario if Jimmy G's not ready to go, especially since the Raiders start out three of their first four games are on the road. So that's never easy, you know. So that's going to be uh, a big question right there. But, look, they got Brian Hoyer. He's backup quarterback or QB1 right now because Jimmy's not out there. Chase Garbers was an undrafted free agent out of Cal a year ago, so he's been on the roster. And then they have Aiden O'Connell, who they drafted in the fourth round out of Purdue. And I'll say this, I saw Aiden O'Connell throwing the rock yesterday out at at, uh, practice at OTAs, and he looks the part. He looks like he can make all the throws. He looks strong. And from everything I've been told, he's very intelligent. Like, he's able to pick up uh, the offense very, very easily. And so, because I don't believe Brian Hoyer is a real option, you know, for more than a game or two, I asked Coach McDaniels about Aiden O'Connell. I said, hey, everything I hear, the intangibles are that he's very intelligent. Are you seeing that? He said, yeah, he is very intelligent. You're right. He's got those. He played in the Big Ten, played in a tough conference. Uh, you know, he played at Purdue. Uh, he went through a lot of adversity. He was able to uh, walk on. He was a tight end at one point. He was like ninth on the depth chart and finally got in as a quarterback, got the start taken away from him, and then ended up being the starter again. So he likes his intangibles that he has. He says that he's swimming right now because he's a rookie and he's just trying to learn. But he loves the fact that he loves football. He has a plan. He comes to work with a plan every day. He's got a little bit of edge to him because he's got a chip on his shoulder. So everything he's saying sounds like he really likes him. And then the little side nugget on that is when we were at the owners' meetings in Phoenix, uh, we were asking about the quarterback position. I specifically asked what he preferred in the quarterbacks coming up in the draft because there were so many different guys like a Bryce Young, a C.J. Stroud, Anthony Richardson, Will Levis, and I left it at that. I left it at those four guys. Well, he rattled off about nine different quarterbacks that were in the draft, and the first one he rattled off, with Aiden O'Connell out of Purdue, which kind of made my eyebrow raise a little bit. Then lo and behold, they draft him in the fourth round. So I'm not saying that the plan is for Aiden O'Connell to be the franchise quarterback moving forward and that he's going to get the start and he's going to be the end-all, be-all. But I also wouldn't be surprised if they do give some extra attention to Aiden O'Connell. And you see a lot of him in the preseason. And at some point, he might end up taking the reins. Talking to Q Myers, talks Raiders on Las Vegas Sports Network, R&R, R&R 920 AM in Las Vegas. Q, I, we were talking about this on our, on our NFL podcast last night. We were talking coaches on the hot seat entering 2023. And the first name my, my co-host threw out was Josh McDaniels. Like, am I cra- Barring like Aiden O'Connell being great or something like that, 
I just I don't see a way McDaniel survives this season. No, you know what? I don't think that he has anything to worry about, honestly, unless they just have a terrible season, right? If they go, you know, maybe four and, and 13, five and, and 12, and they just look completely lost, then I can see him being removed. But remember, he came in with GM Dave Ziegler. They came in as a package duo. And Mark Davis has given the seal of approval. He said that he understands what's going on. He's not trying to consistently replace their head coaches because, of course, that's not a way to get it done. You've got to have some kind of continuity. Every time you replace your coach, you're hitting the reset button. Again, unless they just look terrible this year and look like they're, they're lost as a team and he has no direction and loses a bunch of those close games like they lost in 2022, I think he's safe, honestly. I mean, I know a lot of people are pretty much saying that he's the odds-on favorite to be fired first, but I would be shocked. I really would, uh, and I've been around the team for quite a while. I'd be shocked if he was the first guy fired, like I said, unless something terrible were to happen with the team. I think he's going to be safe, and I think he'll be the coach of 2024. Tom Brady's timing is always impeccable. When you look at his <laughs> decision to leave the Patriots and, and go to a franchise like the Buccaneers, pick up a Super Bowl championship, then he decides, okay, well, I'll retire. But as I retire, I'm going to go ahead and make $300 million as a Fox broadcaster. I'm going to invest into the Las Vegas Aces, which is a, a world championship program. Oh, by the way, I just so happened to go to the franchise where their starting quarterback may or may not be able to play. I know that fans are going to automatically say, all right, Tom Brady, he's coming back not only for ownership, but he wants and still needs to be a part of the Vegas program. You know, it's funny. Everyone has, has brought up Tom Brady and have talked about him being a potential quarterback for the team, and I just don't see that see it happening, right? He was on with uh, Robin Lundberg from SI.com, and I actually had him on my radio show just yesterday uh, talking about the conversation he had with Tom, and he said, look, he is so happy being retired. He wants nothing to do with being back on the field. He's going to be a part owner of the Raiders. Uh, that still has to go through, but they're, they're really close to getting that done. He's already part uh, owner of the Aces. Obviously, both teams are owned by Mark Davis, so they have a really good relationship. He said he's excited about his opportunity at Fox next year. That's a $350 million deal, like you mentioned, and uh, he, he's excited about spending time with his family. So I would be super shocked super shocked if there's any way you see TV 12 on the football field outside of like a charity game or something. I don't see him wanting anything to do with going out there, going through training camp, going through, you know, practices, all that other stuff, getting back in the lab with Josh McDaniels. I would be super shocked to see him have any desire to go out there and do that. So I think, I think the, the door on Tom Brady is closed. I, they do have Devonte Adams, Jacoby Myers and Hunter Renfro. Like it's gotta, it's gotta yep. peak Tom's interest. A little bit, but no, I, I, I don't think it's going to happen either. But the, the timing was, was pretty hilarious how it worked out that way. Right. It, yeah, exactly. Jimmy G's probably thinking, man, I can't get away from Tom Brady. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and and so, that's now Tom is his boss as if he wasn't his boss anyway or one of his bosses right. for sure. And outside of the quarterback room, because we know that's really what makes NFL franchises tick. We know that Josh Jacobs had some – issues there with the Raiders and running back wise and really wide receiver wise are there more problems beyond quarterback moving forward for the Raiders of course 6 and 11 in the division a year ago whether Jimmy G plays or not will there be an improvement on 6 and 11 
Well, I think the offense is going to be fine as long as Jimmy's behind center, right? I mean, and, and we started this whole thing off saying that he's not much better than Derek Carr, but that's okay. With the weapons they have on offense, I think they'll be fine. I mean, Devontae, as you mentioned, Jacoby Myers, Hunter Renfro, if he's there or not, I mean, there's always going to be a conversation of is there a potential trade on the way, which there could be. Uh, Josh Jacobs, he's got the franchise tag right now. He just led the league in rushing. I think he'll be fine. Uh, there's a lot to like about the Raiders' offense. The offensive line it did good enough last year to help Josh lead the league in rushing, and they have some depth behind them now on the offensive line. And Michael Mayer, the tight end from Notre Dame, the second-round pick, I think he's really going to help not only in the run game, but obviously uh, catching the ball in the red zone in particular where the Raiders have struggled. So I think the offense is going to be fine. If the Raiders struggle and if they don't have six wins this season, if they go step, take a step back, it's going to be because the defense hasn't improved. The defense was terrible. Uh, the defense gave up plenty of leads in 2022. They gave up a 98-yard drive to a quarterback in Baker Mayfield that had been on the Rams for about 12 minutes, and he goes out there and he takes his long drive down the field on Thursday night football to win the game. Like, There's just too many things that they were not able to do as a defense last year that they've got to find a way to do this year. So if the, de if the team is not very good this year, I would look first and foremost at the, at the Raiders' defense and say, yeah, where's the big issues? And, and I think that's where you'll see them, the most of the issues. Well, I know we're down here in the South in Mobile, Alabama, and when you look at the Stanley Cup in Vegas, yeah. I think that that's an interesting aspect, something have you had an opportunity to see or, or to touch or, or to look at what the Cup is all about because that's one of the most prestigious trophies that you can win in all of professional athletics. Yeah, there's no doubt. It was at our radio station uh, yesterday, as a matter of fact. It was awesome. Like, everybody and their mother took a picture with it. And it's funny, I just I just spent all my day retweeting their pictures of it. Everybody took a picture of that thing. And uh, really cool to see it just on tour and uh, have Michael, who's the who's the cup keeper, uh, be in the building as well, being able to talk about it. I mean, that is that is really awesome. And now, knowing that the Stanley Cup gets uh, the finals get started tomorrow here in Vegas, and it's two teams that have never, ever won one, like, at the end of the finals, Somebody who has never won the Stanley Cup is going to win the Stanley Cup. Of course, this is the Golden Knights' second opportunity to, to compete for it, and uh, Florida's been around a lot longer. But, man, I'm telling you, they're buzzing right now uh, in the 702 when it comes to, to the Vegas Golden Knights and that opportunity in the Stanley Cup. That is all that really matters right now. It doesn't matter what happens with Jimmy G and the Raiders right now because the only thing that matters is the Stanley Cup Finals. Gotcha. Now, I, I can't let you go without asking you this last question. Are you going with the Nuggets or the Heat? Oh, I have the Nuggets, there's no doubt. And actually, uh, I had the Nuggets in six, but after seeing what they did last night, I wouldn't be surprised if they wrapped it up a little bit quicker. I just don't think anyone wins in Denver. I just think that Denver is just that difficult to play in, and that team is so sick and good. I like Miami. I like Jimmy Butler. I really respect the hell out of Eric Spolstra, but Denver just seems like that team, and again, they have the home court advantage, so I can't see Miami. Uh, I, I just can't see them upsetting Denver in this series, but I do believe that they'll make it a series, so I, I still, I'm going to stick with Denver in six, but man, that game that they had last night, even though the final score doesn't show it, that was a dominating performance. It really was. Q Myers joining us Man, Q, how can everyone check out all your great coverage and get caught up to date on what's going on with the Raiders and, of course, with your Stanley Cup being there also? 
All you got to do is uh, check me out on Twitter, at your boy Q254. I put everything out there, all the links to all the shows that I'm doing, whether it's, uh, you know, uh, Raider Nation Radio, ESPN, Locked On Raiders, Locked On Fans, whatever the case may be, I put everything out at, at your boy Q254 on Twitter. So you can hit me up or you can check me out that way. And uh, definitely appreciate you. And, uh, thank you so much for having me on the show today. Q, it's our pleasure. We'll catch up with you next month to talk some NBA Summer League action in Vegas as well. Yeah, that's what I'm talking about. And then I get some great beats on the way out, too. Oh, man, I got to come on all the time. There you go. Your boy Q exiting the building here on the final drive. We want to thank you, Myers, for joining us here on the final drive on WNSP 105.5. Welcome back to the final drive on WNSP 105.5. Corey Labounty and my producer, Michael Brauner. And, you know, every single night, I don't care what sport it is, you can go across over to Mississippi and you can find odds on something. And I know the odds of you beating the house are, are really slim to none. I'm not a <laughs> gambler. I, I, I really never have been. I, I just like to keep the money in my pocket. I may go and play the quarter slots, maybe the dollar slots, but I'm I'm not gonna put more well, than twenty dollars. Getting crazy machine. with it on a dollar slot? A- absolutely not. But but Michael, I know there were some weird odds that were going into the NBA game last night, and the Nuggets, of course, were favored to win. And you know you have to school me a little bit about. What goes into these bets and yeah, what so you can win? Let, let me let me break down this story for you. The odds were about you know what they should be. The Nuggets were favored by nine points last night, um, but yeah. So one better. This was in New Jersey, actually. Shout out to the home state at Caesar Sportsbook in New Jersey. One better wagered ten thousand dollars on the Miami Heat in Game One. Alternative spread of plus thirty and a half at minus four thousand odds. So basically, the bet. Uh, so basically, what that means to explain to you is that they put ten thousand dollars up that the Heat would lose by thirty points or less. If they lost by thirty on the dot. The bet still wins. If they lost by thirty-one. He uh, he loses. Any guesses on what a ten thousand dollar bet to not lose by thirty-one returns? How how much does it return? Two hundred forty-nine dollars and seventy-five cents is what uh, is what he. He won. He got. He, he did win the bet. Uh, so good on him. But that game was a 24-point game going into the fourth quarter. You think that guy was sweating a little bit, thinking, "Oh my God, I'm about to lose a minus 4,000 odds bet." So when you have the type of money that that Mattress Mac has, yeah, and and when you're able to cash in and and you're already successful, do you even care about the I fact that you're going to drop Mac. that kind of? That kind of money. Yeah, Mattress Mac would have put a million dollars up and, and returned, like, I don't know, probably $20,000, if if, uh, if my math is correct on that. Uh, but, <laughs> yeah, it's, it's a foolish amount of money to throw around on a two. So he let, he put down, risked $10,000 and walked away with uh, about $10,250. So he left with money. Good for him. But uh, also, you know, it's the kind of story you read that just kind of makes you a little bit angry. Well, I, I will say this. You know, you, you don't have to worry about gambling at the collegiate level as far as now that NILs are going along and, and you see what happened in the NFL with the players. But Alabama 
rolled the dice and, and was able to come away with another four-star running back, one that used to play here in the state of Alabama. Mm. He's going to be a rising junior, 2025 running back who is now at IMG, five foot eight, 185-pound turbo is what they call him. Turbo Anthony Rogers has verbally committed to the Crimson Tide. And as I mentioned at the beginning of the show, you have all these elite camps and mega camps and special position camps going on in the summertime. And I know I did see the Nick Saban team camp going on yesterday and today or individual camp that is. And Turbo will be putting on and turning on the boosters for the Crimson Tide. Anytime you can pick up anytime you can pick up the name Turbo, you're probably doing something right as a running back. So adds another player on the offense, the twenty twenty five class with uh, Ryan Williams. And so you were telling me so he went to Pike Road and yes. was playing with Quinshawn Judkins at Ole Miss, wasn't he? And and he was a special, special player and before he transferred and went down to Florida he, to IMG, and, and of course, you, you can't blame somebody for wanting to go to IMG to, to further it, but Turbo is considered the top running back in the class of 2025. Nice. Now, without question, you already know who is the top wide receiver mm. in the country in the class of 2025. Hollywood! So that's right here in your backyard in Saraland High School and Ryan Hollywood Williams and it was a clean sweep yesterday for the Optimist Club male and female track athletes of the year with Ryan Williams and Morgan Davis both coming away and deservedly so with the Optimist Club track and field male and female athletes of the year. But I just think that Alabama the rich gets richer, and it's hard, even though it's two years away, when you make that verbal commitment, I think you, you very rarely in today's – you don't see many flip. And I know that when you're looking at Auburn in the mix and Georgia in the mix and Oregon in the mix, you know there's a lot of NIL money involved. Yeah, it's kind of – well, it's an interesting discussion because, you know, if you ask Nick Saban or really any of these coaches, NIL was not supposed to be used as a recruiting tool. And, well, if you ask Jimbo Fisher, it's not being used as a recruiting tool. Of course, we know it is being used as a recruiting tool. And until there are measures put into place, it'll continue to be used as a recruiting tool, which, uh, you know, you can have thoughts on, but it is what it is right now. I think amateurism within the next five years is not going to exist. I know the state of Alabama does not allow its student athletes in high school to receive benefits from NIL in high school. But I don't I don't see how I know neighboring states and other states do. But to me, you you're not gonna you're not gonna be able to stop it or slow it down because either you're gonna do it like when NIL came about. Either you're gonna do it on the top of the table or you're gonna do it under the bottom of the table. And it's just a matter of how egregious it's gonna be and how visible it's gonna be. I mean, they made a whole movie on it, Blue Chips, based on tractors and cars and the recruiting process. And this was 20 years ago about what was underneath the table. You know, but yeah. what's on top of the table now, why why wouldn't you want to be able to profit off your name, image, and likeness, even as a high school athlete? Because there's plenty of athletes in high school, especially now that some states have legalized it, being able to make money 
off your name, image, and likeness. It's coming. Yeah, amateurism is going to die, Michael. It, it, it's not going to exist. And, you know, you can have your thoughts on that. I, I think that the benefits probably outweigh the negatives in that. Uh, you know, I think uh, you just need to put measures into place to get that under control. Like Saban kind of said this week, like, oh, well, we might as well just make it like the NFL and make there be a salary cap and make the playing field more even because currently, like, teams are just – Schools are outspending each other, and, and it's out of control as to what teams are willing to spend. And, and uh, you know, whereas, like, the NFL, which obviously is not an amateur organization, you know, there's a certain number amount of money you can spend, and it levels the playing field. So, you know, if you're going to go that route, which obviously the NCAA appears that they are going that route, you know, it's, it's probably time to put some formal measures in place to ensure, you know, parity across every institution but the question i pose and you can answer this in the app or give us a call at 251-694-1055 should politicians need to be involved in nil is that the answer to get politicians involved in the legislation in all states not only here in alabama but across the country because we know Nick Saban taking a trip to Washington, D.C., along with his athletic director to discuss just that. And I'm not quite sure that politicians are the answer to NIL. But, you know, like I say, once the tube's pace is out of the tube, you can't put it back in. The final drive, Rick Cauley scheduled to join us next, the head football coach of the Davidson Warriors. From Mobile, Sports Radio 105.5 WNSP presents 99 yards away. Win this game for one another. The final drive with Corey Labounty and Michael Bronner. Do your job and play together. The final drive, live on 105.5 FM and streaming on the Sound of Mobile app. I cannot believe it. Welcome to our number two of the final drive on WNSP 105.5. Corey LeBounty along with my producer, Michael Brauner, joining you. Hope everyone has had a fantastic work week and are geared up and ready for a great weekend. And I tell you, with school letting out in Mobile and Baldwin County and the conclusion of the spring games, I wanted to talk to one of our local high school coaches who I have a tremendous amount of respect for and has been doing this for a long time. And really, the thing I love about our next guest is the fact that he is a player's coach. And Rick Cauley joins us now on the final drive. Coach, good afternoon, and thanks for joining us. Hey, Corey, how are you? Man, I'm absolutely blessed by the best coach. And, you know, it's that time of year to where you guys – we're able to check out the new digs of your stadium there off Michael Boulevard behind the school. And it, it's something that I know the Davidson Warrior community is is taking great pride in. You had your inner squad scrimmage in the morning time. But what 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 was the feeling like to know that, hey, this stadium is ready and, and next year, come August, we're going to play some games there? Oh, it was really exciting. Uh, you know, just getting to practice in it every day and having a place to go down to that's 
state of the art. Uh, you know, great surface. Just, it's a great atmosphere, and uh, the black and gold thing went really well. Uh, we had a few college coaches say that they never, you know, it was the last day of school. We did it at 9 a.m. and uh, kids got to come out and parents got to show up. So, uh, you know, he said, "I've never seen school win like this. This is awesome. Y'all should do it every year." And uh, we'll think about it. But it was definitely, uh, it was a lot of fun. Well, Coach, one of the great things that I know you're excited about is is one of the most elite running backs in the entire state of Alabama. To me, one of the most unheralded young men who was really starting to garner a lot of attention here. He came into our studios a month or so ago and joined us, and that being Derek D.J. Butler, your phenomenal rising senior running back. Talk to us about what he's meant to your program over these first three years. Hey, you know, DJ is uh, you know just the kind of kid you want to coach. He's going to be there every day. He does what's asked and a little bit more. Uh, he's a great leader and a great kid. And, you know, there's never any sort of problems or anything like that. He, you know, when someone uh, gets the accolades and things that he's been getting and they've done it the right way, you know, it's, uh, it's a good message to the younger kids. And uh, he's definitely been that. And we expect a – Great senior year from him. If it was possible, he got even better. He had a great spring. Uh, he's a little faster than he was last year, and uh, you know he, he worked on his skills, and uh, you know he, he had a great spring. Well, one of the things I do love when you finish up the spring and get out of school, the kids not only just continue to work in the off-season program, lifting weights, they have an opportunity to go to summer camps, and in these summer camps, they can make an individual name for themselves. I know South Alabama had a camp today, and, of course, we've seen Nick Saban's camp go on as well. But the opportunities for these young men to travel and to be seen and to be known on an individual basis at these summer camps are huge when it comes down to scholarship opportunities, not only for them, but bringing a great presence of college coaches to Davidson's campus. Yeah, yeah, spring we had a lot of coaches on campus, uh, more than we normally have. And, uh, you know, once they get out for the summer, you know, they spread and every weekend they're everywhere. We've had kids in Tennessee, Jackson State. I think DJ's at Coastal Carolina right now. Um, you know, we got kids at South tomorrow for that mega camp. And then next Saturday, uh, one thing we do every year is we uh, – allow our kids to sign up for camps and then we'll get a bus and take them. So we're going to take them to Troy this year because they got one uh, Justin Poe place for them up there. So we're going to take a busload of kids and go to Troy and have a good time and let them get seen. I love the fact that it's all about having an opportunity for your players to be seen and, and seen academically as well as when they lead the black and gold of Davidson High School, you get people like Cedric Johnson, who represented Ole Miss at the SEC Media Days, and people like Jerquan Scott at I, Southern I Miss. Really... It's hard to hear me, huh, Coach? Yeah, I'm getting a lot of uh, air went away. Nope, it's back. <laughs> Jerquan Scott and Cedric Johnson both joining all-conference, preseason all-conference honors. Talk about what it means when you see your players, former players, get those type of honors. Uh, I, I'm having a hard time. I'm getting the uh, intro music in the background. I'm having a hard time hearing. But I think you mentioned Jerquan Scott and Cedric Johnson. 
Yes. Uh, Jaquan's doing a great job. I didn't have the opportunity to coach him, uh, but he's doing a great job at Southern Miss. And, uh, you know, uh, great kid. I've met him a few times, and, you know, I think sky's the limit for him. And, and Cedric was there our first year, you know, Cephas's uh, brother. It's great family. His parents are awesome. Uh, Cephas still comes around, and, you know, he he's uh, – doing big things and you know we we expect Cedric to have a big year this year and on draft day uh here's number call yeah I, w- I was mentioning I hope the I hope the background music is stopped now but what what I was mentioning is the fact that when when you see these guys at SEC media days and, and you just mentioned what Cedric Scott I mean Cedric Johnson means to his family and the Davidson Warrior and, and Jaquan Scott as well it's just not about athletics it's about academics at davidson too and i know that's something that you guys hang your hat on tremendously knowing that they're if it's not athletics that academically these guys are doing what they need to do also yeah we our school is uh, tremendous academically you know with our ib program and the epic program uh ap scholars uh you know we are far away have more uh, kids score 30 on the ACT than anyone in this area every year, and uh, you know we're proud of that. And you know when you when you go to come to Davidson High School, you're going to get an education, and you're going to be prepared for college when you get there. So it's not a, a place where you're going to come and uh, we're handing out A's. You got to work, and uh, you're going to learn, and you're going to be prepared. It's, it's a really good school, and you know I'm honored to be part of it. Coach, what are your goals for the Warriors program this upcoming season? Uh, we want to get in the playoffs. Uh, we want to be hanging around with a chance to win the region. They break it down every day to region champs. And, uh, you know, we don't feel like we're too far away from that. Our, our region is tough, but at the same time, there's a lot of there's a lot of parity. Anybody can beat anybody on a Friday night. And uh, we, we believe our schedule is favorable with a lot of home games this year. We've got six of them. And uh, we, we want to – we want to turn things around. We want to do it now. That's that's really all there is to it. Uh, we want to play, go play good football and uh, entertain the fans and win. Six home games to debut your brand-new stadium on the campus of Davidson High School. I think that's going to make a tremendous difference. And, and not to have to travel and be able to generate your own school revenue right there on campus and to create a game day atmosphere from scratch. I think that's going to be a lot of fun. Coach, were you in favor of the shakeup in 7A, the way they're doing the playoffs? Because so many times you see Thompson and Hoover in the semifinals and, of course, Central Phoenix City or Auburn playing Thompson. But to be able to shake it up a little bit, were you for that idea as well? Uh, you know, I'm I'm for whatever they those guys choose to do. Like they don't, you know, you get to do surveys and things like that. Uh, I, we'll play anybody. We're not, uh, you know, you got to beat everybody uh, in order to win it all. And uh, they, they don't give out T-shirts or trophies that say made it to the second round. <laughs> uh, they only give out one one trophy at the end. You know, football is a lot like cliff diving. You're either grand champion or stuff on a rock. So um, doesn't really matter who you play. You got to beat them all anyway. I absolutely love that philosophy. Are you guys still open in week zero on the 25th, or have you found an opponent? Uh, we are playing Jamboree with Baldwin County. So it will be Baldwin County that you'll have an opportunity right. to get that. Okay, so that, that gets you started on the 25th as well, and it'll be 
against Baldwin County. Will that be at their place or will it be at your stadium? It's at ours. So it's another opportunity again to to see the Davidson Warriors come the 25th of August. And, Coach, it'll be here before you know it. I know high school media days will be here probably within the next month and a half as well. So I'm excited to see you guys continue to participate this summer and wish you the best and want you guys to stay healthy. And it's always great catching up with you, Coach Carley, and one of my favorites. Anytime. You know I love to come on, Corey, and uh, you come out and see us anytime you want. We'll do it. Rick Cawley, head football coach of the Davidson Warriors, making their debut six home games they're going to have at their new stadium. And if you haven't had an opportunity to drive down Michael Boulevard or get on the campus of Davidson to, to see that new stadium, one of the newest stadiums along with LaFleur, and you look at BC Rain and Viger, just some great things going on on campus now with that turf as well. The final drive will be right back here on WNSP 105.5. Hi, this is Luis Gonzalez, former South Alabama Jaguar and Major League player. You're listening to WNSP Mobile. Welcome back to the final drive. Corey Bounty, along with my producer, Michael Brauner, on this Friday afternoon. And you can hit us up 251-694-1055, or you can correspond with us in the app. And as we get ready for the mid-December or the beginning of December and early January bowl games. I'm always fascinated by the names of these bowl games, Michael. And I know that Mobile has its own bowl game, the 68 Ventures Bowl, 6 o'clock p.m. on Saturday, December 23rd. But when Pop-Tarts got involved in college football, I, I love the Cheez-It Bowl when you can dump a big bucket of Cheez-Its on the winning coach or the Idaho Potato Bowl when you when you have potatoes being dumped on a coach, the famous Idaho Potato Bowl, but the Duke's Mayo Bowl. No, I, I could never imagine that, being the a best, coach. That's the best dumping, the it, Mayo one. It, that is unreal you like mayo? when you see that. Yeah, I'll do mayo. I don't like mayo. I, I'll do mayo. Yeah, I don't like and mayo. And I, I, I'm not quite sure the college coaches, when they win that game, love the fact that they their tradition is to get Duke's mayo dumped on them either. But Pop-Tarts, when you look at a name of a bowl game, if you had to find a sponsor or a brand name, Captain Crunch Bowl would be pretty good. I would love to see the Captain Crunch Bowl. You already have Tony the Tiger bowl which is something that i think in and of itself is 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 pretty creative you, camellia bowl that that kind of speaks for itself the roof, the, how, how about the roofclaim.com bowl is that a real company yeah uh, it is well. it, it, it is yeah uh, they seem to get wackier every year so Pop-Tart throwing their hat in the ring. Find one, Michael. Find find that sponsor. Find, find you know, is it McDonald's? Is it Burger King? It doesn't even have to be fast food. It, like I said, I, I, I say cereal is is one that's always interesting. Is it the Fruity Pebbles Bowl? 
How, how about that one? I mean, do you think these other cereal companies will, will get in, involved? The Wasabi Fenway Bowl? How about that? See, I mean, it, it comes in all shapes, forms, and fashions to where, you know, the Rose Bowl is classic. You can't go, you go wrong with the flower. But some of these names of the companies, when you put them in front of a collegiate bowl game, I, I absolutely love it. Pop-Tart Bowl. What, what brand would you like to see? Hmm. I can say Captain Crunch, I think, would be be one that I yeah, would like to see. Yeah, you stole you stole a good one there with Captain Crunch. Like the uh the honey bunches of oats bowl. <laughs> That's another one. I mean, I, I, I it's all possible. Someone in the app says red lobster bowl. Yeah, so I, I think that uh. you can get as creative as you would like because I never thought I would see mayonnaise dumped on the winning coach in collegiate football as far as from a celebration. And, and even Cheez-Its, when they got involved and you see Cheez-Its on the sidelines and you, you, you bend down and you reach up and you go ahead and eat you a handful of Cheez-Its that have been dumped on the turf. You like Cheez-Its? I love Cheez-Its. Yeah. You can't go wrong That's classic. with, with Cheez-Its. And, and I'll I tell you what is also classic is your New England Patriots. Where are you going with this one? They're, they're pretty classic because – they, they want to go ahead and have an opportunity to sign DeAndre Hopkins. Uh-huh. Can, can and will DeAndre Hopkins put on a Patriots uniform? He's a five-time pro bowler. Hmm. I mean, the cap space is there for the Patriots. You know, Mac Jones needs all the weapons he can get. Hopkins hadn't been in the league super-duper long. I mean, his most productive years, of course, being with the Texans, but can you see him in your Patriots uniform? Uh, I can see it happening. It, it seems like there are legitimate rumors to back the possibility. You said it. They have the cap space to make it happen. Would I be ultra like, oh, my God, we got DeAndre Hopkins? No. Like, I, th- I wouldn't go so far as calling him washed and, like, saying this is similar to Julio to the Titans because you remember the reaction when – the Titans got Julio. Like, oh, look out for the Titans. The Titans got Julio. He did nothing. Uh, so I don't think it's quite that. Like, I think he'll contribute to a team. Uh, for the Patriots specifically, it's like if you bring in DeAndre Hopkins, you probably swap out Devontae Parker, and he probably gets cut, which is fine. Uh, you know, I think Hopkins is an upgrade from Parker. How much of an upgrade? I don't know. Uh, certainly a cost upgrade, which you have to weigh that factor. I, I think Parker gets a lot of uh, gets a lot of flack for a, a guy I think is a pretty good player when he can stay on the field, which is a question mark. But it's been a question mark for Hopkins as well. Uh, so yeah, I mean, I, I I'd be I'd be excited, but I definitely wouldn't be like, all right, like this is the this is the piece we needed. Like this this completes the offense. It's, he's DeAndre Hopkins. He's he's gonna be on a team this year and he'll be okay. I don't think he'll ever be like a star again. So what you're saying is when Julio got traded, no. he was no longer a star. No, I mean, he, he didn't do anything with the Titans. And then, uh, you know, the fact when he was on Tampa Bay this year, he made a couple nice catches, but I think he had like 10 catches on the season. Yeah, I mean, it was, and of course it was a, like a second round pick he was traded for. And everyone's like, oh my God, like the Titans have Julio and A.J. Brown. Julio, I think he played like five games for that Titans team. He did nothing. Uh, and I, you know, not to rag all over Julio. I love Julio. He's one of the best Alabama players of all time. Obviously, he's from Foley, uh, but like, come on, like <laughs> we're talking about a uh, a guy who is washed up. <laughs> so it is what it is. But but is is Hopkins 
And I don't know if I wouldn't even call Julio washed up. I would just I would say that his better playing days at this point he's done. But he was washed up when he got traded to the Titans, and now at this point, yeah, he's he's done. So so Hopkins is a no go for you. You you don't think that he can actually like I'd take him. Sure, why not? We have cap space. It'd probably be a one or two year deal. I, I, you know, he's probably an upgrade from Devontae Parker because again, you wouldn't keep both because they're both kind of that big bodied guy. Uh, so it's not like I'd sit here and be mad if the Patriots gave gave a little bit of a short term uh, contract to DeAndre Hopkins. I'd say, but I'd I'd kind of just be like, ah, oh, yeah, that's that's cool. I guess we have DeAndre Hopkins now. It certainly wouldn't be like, oh my God, like. DeAndre Hopkins, and that's going to be the reaction on Twitter. Like, imagine if the Chiefs or Bills sign him. I think there's always this tendency when a big name player hits the market like this is like, oh, like he signs blank. And nine times out of ten, it looks more like Julio to the Titans than than you know that player ever returning to the player they once were. Well, Kansas City, New England, Buffalo, and Houston have the most cap space, so I could see him going. You you see DeAndre Hopkins in Kansas City having an opportunity to win a Super Bowl ring there and just having that breakout year. I still think Hopkins has a lot of gas left in the tank, and I think he can be a difference maker. And I, I don't know if if he went to Kansas City, they're already favorites along with the Eagles to to play again in the Super Bowl. So I I, I would I would be interested to see what what route. And what team decides to take that opportunity? Because he's going to sign. Could he finish his career back where he started it with Houston? Yeah, that was another thing uh, getting tossed around. I actually threw that out when he got released last Friday uh, when I was when I was by myself and threw out that possibility. Kind of, kind of just throwing out that hell mary, and now it's a legitimate uh, rumor. So I'll pat myself on the back there. But no, that'd be cool. I think it'd be good for C.J. Stroud. I don't know if how much better it makes a terrible Texans team, uh, but that'd be a nice way for Hopkins to finish his career where it started. Uh, obviously, the kind of all the bad apples that were there at the, during the end of his time that I'm sure he holds a lot of bitterness to, which, by the way, Bill O'Brien, Patriots offensive coordinator, is very much included in that group uh, in terms of if it was a foolish deal at the time because he was still arguably the best receiver in the league when that's he was why traded see to Arizona. It. That's why I think that that's a no-go. Yeah, I think uh, you said the Patriots is? Yes. Uh, yeah, I mean... I don't know. I, I think after a certain number of years, those those fences nah. probably mend. You nah, have to understand, nah, Hopkins nah. was Elephants also— Elephants never forget, brother. Yeah. They never forget. He didn't want to go anyway because it really shook the NFL. You're like, what, what in the world are the Houston Texans doing? Fire O'Brien immediately. That was the first thing that was said when he let Hopkins go to begin with. That's why I just don't see him going back to the Patriots. I think he would love— to be a chief or play with the Bills before, which is another division opponent. He would love to beat Bill O'Brien before he would love to play with well, Bill I O'Brien. think Hopkins is at a point where he's going to go where whoever to whoever offers him the most money. Uh, so if that's the Patriots, great. Is he worth Odell Beckham money right no, now in his no, career? No, no, I don't think so. I, I, I think Odell is significantly more valuable, even coming off a torn ACL and not having played in a year. I mean, if you look at the last time Odell Beckham was le- legitimately on a football field, he was dominating the Super Bowl and uh, was the best player on the field at the time at the Super Bowl. So, no, I don't think he's worth Odell money. Odell got, like, what, $18 million from the yes. Ravens, something like that. Uh, so, no, I don't think he's worth that or really anywhere close to that, maybe half. Uh, but we'll see. 
I, I, I don't know who's going to end up with him. Well, if you're looking at from top to bottom, when you're looking at rosters in the NFL, what route do you – who is the best NFL team top to bottom right now as we speak? Because a lot of people say, well, we'll go with the Kansas City Chiefs. I personally think the Philadelphia Eagles are going to be the best NFL team top to bottom. And I know we do have a caller on the line, Michael. Patrick. What's up, Patrick? Hey, Corey. Um, back at you again today. So when Bill O'Brien made that trade, I and everybody else, like, that's a terrible trade, right? But sure. look how everything's played out. Was it really that bad of a trade? Or did he or there's some off-the-field stuff, i.e. PEDs and other stuff you got suspended for? It's like four years later. Uh, Chances are he wouldn't have been a Texan at that point anyway. I get it. I get it. But at four years, he has done nothing to the point where Philadelphia got nothing for him and released him because they didn't want to pay him the money. So at the end of the day, was it really that terrible? If you had hindsight, it's always 2020. It's kind of like Belichick. No, in hindsight, the players Belichick got rid of. It's better to get them a year, or get them, get away from them a year early than a year late, right? In hindsight, uh, it it was not as terrible as initially thought, but I I think it's uh, a bit disingenuous to say that he's done nothing since uh, since leaving. I mean, I mean, I mean he, he he's had good. He had. 1,400 yards in 2020 in his first year with Arizona. Here's what they did. I mean, they traded Hopkins to the Cardinals for running back David Johnson, a second-round pick, and a swap of fourth. He had 115 catches for 1,400 yards in 2020. Productive. In in his first year with the Cardinals. Productive. uh, Yeah, and then after that, stats kind of drop off a cliff. You know, because it's money-wise. That first year is, look, I'm going to show you that you had no business – trading me whatsoever but I, I just don't see why he would want to come back and play for bill o'brien and bill belichick just because of what went on now oh him and bill belichick are, are buddy buddy they like each other so uh you know we'll see but again it's, it's a business but I, I just don't think he forgot either and is not going to forget it as most players don't and won't forget and can kind of remind you of it just like you mentioned the numbers there in 2020 you reminded them look this is what you're missing out on and have an opportunity to be a part of the final drive will be right back gary harris will be joining us from tuscaloosa alabama next Hi, this is Juan Sierra, former South Alabama Jaguar, former MLB player, and you're listening to WNSP. The final drive on WNSP 105.5. Corey LeBounty along with Michael Bronner on this Friday afternoon. Hope everyone has had a fantastic work week. And, of course, it's not necessarily a Friday news dump, but Alabama. The rich getting richer, class of 2025, turbo. Anthony Rogers makes a verbal commitment to Nick Saban and the Crimson Tide. He left here in the state of Alabama to go down to IMG Academy, and you can't really blame him for that move. And Gary Harris, sports director at WVUA in Tuscaloosa, joins us here on the final drive. Gary, how's it going, my brother? I'm hanging in there, Corey and Michael. It's a uh, it's a it's a busy busy time, but 
All's well, my friend. Well, it, it's definitely a busy time in Tuscaloosa. Of course, Alabama takes on Nichols tonight at 6 o'clock, and then you have this softball team battling for their lives against Stanford in regards to just trying to keep their hopes alive to win a college World Series championship. It's going to be tough, tough tasking if you're Patrick <laughs> Murphy and the Crimson Tide. Yeah, it is. I, you know, just to be honest with you, Corey, I, I did not see this team this year for Alabama as a national championship caliber team. I think that it's been a remarkable uh, run for them to get to the Women's College World Series. And, again, they're trying to win. I'm not, I'm not going to diminish that at all. Uh, but to be honest with you, I've watched this team all year. Uh, this is not one of Alabama's better softball teams. I think uh, they took advantage of a, of a good seeding to get the regional at home. And then even without Montana Fouts pitching a single inning in the regional uh, because of the dominance of, of Jayla Torrance, they got through the regional. They hosted Northwestern in the Super Regional and kind of combining um, the two pitchers were able to uh, get a, uh, a championship there and get out to Oklahoma City to play Tennessee for the fifth time. And, you know, sometimes, guys, a team's just better than you. And they play Tennessee five times. They've lost four of them. I get the feeling if they play ten, Alabama would probably lose seven or eight. Can they beat Tennessee? Certainly. Uh, they beat them once. And, and, uh, but Tennessee's a better team. And I think you saw it yesterday. Alabama, uh, they just don't have a lot of offensive firepower. And when Tennessee got that fourth spot in the second inning after two outs and nobody on and praying you couldn't handle the ground ball, and that opened up an inning, and, and Tennessee went up 4 nothing. Um, you know, Alabama was in a hole. You know, give them credit, down 10-2 in the fifth and about to be run-ruled. Um, you know, they came up with a, a couple of runs there to keep the game alive and then got a home run in the sixth and, and uh, never quit in the game and got wound up getting beat 10-5. to But, uh, um, you know, they just don't have – there's a lot of holes in that lineup. You look at Oklahoma, you look at Tennessee, you look at some of these top teams, one through nine, everybody can hurt you offensively, and they can hurt you with power. Alabama's limited there. They've got some spots where they don't have a lot of power. They've had too many strikeouts, too many wasted at-bats. Uh, yesterday in the first inning, first and third, nobody out, and they don't get a run in. So I, I'm not trying to diminish their opportunity tonight against Stanford. I'm just trying to say, in my opinion, I think this team, it's an amazing accomplishment for this team to make it to the College World Series after last season when they had a disappointing season, started out 20-1, and one, didn't even get out of the regional for the first time ever, lost to Stanford in the regional, didn't make it to the Super. Then they had a lot of defections at the end of the season in the transfer portal. And to come back this year and be probably, you know, a, a good team, never a great team, but to make it to the College World, Women's College World Series, a great accomplishment. Now, do I think they can win tonight? Absolutely. Because Stanford's a lot like Alabama. You know, they're not very prolific on offense either. So I think this is probably going to be a 2-1, 3-2 type game. And, and I think Alabama could extend its stay uh, at least into the weekend. We'll see. Gary, is Montana Fouts the greatest women's Alabama softball player of all time? I mean, it's a legit question. You know, I go all the way back to Kelly Kretschmann, um, you know, Alexis Osorio, and, 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 you know, many, many others. So I don't know that I would call her the greatest. I would certainly call her – I'd say she's in the conversation, and I would say that she is the most high-profile softball player in the history of Alabama softball and, and one of the most high-profile players in the history of the sport. I mean, as Patrick Murphy likes to say, she is a rock star. She's a celebrity. Um you know, and she does have 100 wins. And she, you know, so she's in the conversation for greatest player. Haley McClinney's another one that's in that conversation. So there are others. Um, but 
she's in the conversation, and she is, in my opinion, the biggest star that Alabama softball has ever had. And that's saying something, because like I said, they've had some big stars. They've had Olympians. They've had pro players. But she, uh, just like when she went back to Huntington, West Virginia, which is near her hometown there in Kentucky, it was like the Beatles, man. I mean, they were lined up as thick as you could see uh, for hundreds of yards to, to greet her when she got off the bus. So, I, I, you know, she's in the conversation for greatest player ever, and she's definitely, in my opinion, the biggest star ever in Alabama softball history and one of the biggest stars in women's college softball history. Talking to Gary Harris, sports director over at WVUA in Tuscaloosa. Gary, I want to transition over to basketball. How much is, is uh, the return of Javon Quinterly and Mark Sears going to mean, and how surprised were you to see Charles Bidiaco keep his name in the draft pool? Very. Didn't, didn't, didn't see it coming. I don't think that, uh, again, this is my opinion, I don't think that, that Nate Oates saw it coming. I don't think that anybody associated with Alabama basketball thought when Betty Ako put his name into the draft that he would actually stay in the draft. I think everybody felt like he was going to come back. So it's a blow. There's no way around it. I mean, you're talking about a seven-foot guy who's a rim protector, who was getting better offensively, great guy to have on your team, a leader, was going to be a third-year starter. And, you know, that front court's been hit hard, and now it's been hit harder. Uh, with Quinterly and Sears coming back, that's big. I mean, Alabama's backcourt is fine, man. I mean, they've got <laughs> they've got experience, they've got talent, they got a couple of key transfers coming in, but up front right now, they're they're thin. I mean, there's no other way around it. I love Nick Pringle. I love Nick Pringle's, uh, you know, he's he's, he's, he's kind of like a pogo stick. You know, he's one of those guys, he can jump flat-footed and get up quick. He's, you know, he's got a lot of athletic ability. He's st- still developing as a basketball player. It would have been great to have Betty Ako there for Nick Pringle. Now Nick Pringle's going to have to have a bigger role, and let's just be honest about it. they got to get in the portal, and they are. They're working the portal hard. They've got to get a big guy or two uh, in the portal because they're, they're, they're way too thin for uh, a basketball team to be taken seriously next year as a contender in the SEC or nationally with that front court the way it is currently constructed. So, Betty Ako not coming back was a big blow. There's no way around it. Heck, man, I would say Clowney going was a big blow. I mean, when they signed Clowney, they knew he was good. I think they knew they had, they had gotten a steal. But I think at the time, you never expected him to, to go into the draft and be a first-rounder, which he's going to be. So uh, they're trying to overcome. You know, that's that's the thing about recruiting talent. You need talent. Uh, but when you recruit great talent, you know, it's hard to hang on to guys. So Alabama has got to get – the backcourt is fine. In fact, I, I wonder almost if they have too many guys. But uh, but up front, they're going to have to they're going to have to find another player or two. And I know they're working the they got guys in for visits, and the good news is there has uh, there has become some really top-tier talent that's going to be available uh, for teams to recruit, and hopefully Alabama will get one or two of those guys. Speaking of top talent and getting paid for top talent now that you have the NIL, a year ago, of course, it was Jimbo Fisher and Nick Saban feuding, and now Ross Bjork, the athletic director at Texas A&M, said, look, we're embracing it. We've got the money, and Alabama and kind of Nick Saban in a sly way has urged the collectives to get behind them with the NIL and make it available for their athletes so they can match the type of money that's being offered by other schools. I still think this is an interesting topic, though, when you have A&M, whether it's Jimbo and Nick or the athletic director, Ross Bjork and Saban, still going at it about NIL. Well, I mean, it is what it is. I mean, I don't spend a lot of time thinking about a&M versus Alabama anymore. I, I think each school understands, um, you know, the, the the lay of the land and, and, and what we're dealing with, and NIL is real, 
and it's going to be a factor. In fact, I, you know, I thought with Anthony Rogers, I was, you know, I'm, I mean, I knew Alabama was in the running, but I had been told that he might be, you know, strictly an NIL deal. And if that was the case, I didn't feel like Alabama was the front runner, but I think he took into consideration a lot of other things, not just NIL money. And so he commits to Alabama today, but I think Alabama, Nick Saban has a great plan. I still think they, they recruit similar to the way that we recruited several years ago. I still think they recruit under the, um, um, you know, umbrella of, hey, listen, we're going to develop you as a player in person on and off the field. We're going to give you an opportunity to win championships. We're going to make you, help you develop as a, as a man, and you're going to have an opportunity to play in the National Football League. Now, yes, hopefully we'll have some NIL money available for you as well, but I don't think Alabama's going out there and pitching, hey, this is the amount of money we're offering you a half million dollars to come play here. I don't think that's the way they're doing it yet. And with that in mind, I think that's why Saban and, and some other coaches and administrators from the SEC are going to Washington next week to meet with members of Congress to try to get, I, you know, I hate to say this, I don't like the, necessarily the idea of government getting involved, but we all know something has to be done. There's got to be some type of regulations in this NIL, and I'm not sure there's anybody in college, um, whether it's the NCAA or the presidents or athletic directors that can do it. You may need government assistance as far as whether it's a, to unionize or make them employees or whatever you do, but I do think that Nick Saban wants to see some type of ground rules so it isn't just, hey, who can pay the most? If that's the case, then the competitive balance is going to be impacted not just among the non-Power 5 schools, but you're going to have haves and have-nots within the Power 5. You know, there needs to be a level playing field, and I do think that's important, but I don't see it as Alabama versus Texas A&M. I just see it as every school trying to figure this out and do the best they can, but there needs to be some type of governing situation where we have, we have some rules in regards to NIL because it was not designed as a pay-for-play. It was designed for what it's is name image and likeness and i think alabama probably did one of the best jobs of that of saying hey when you get here you're going to have an opportunity to cash in on your name image and likeness but we're not going to pay all this upfront money for you to come play football here but as time goes on if there's not something uh put in place to monitor this then that is what it's going to become it's going to become pay for play and and players to the highest bidder so i'm hoping there's something put in place to kind of level the playing field gary last question for you here divisionless football in the SEC. I know you've been covering the Crimson Tide for a while, but are you for it? Is it, is it going to be fun to watch bringing in Texas and Oklahoma in 2024? And do you think it's going to change to the nine-game format? Not right away. Uh, and I am in favor of divisionless football. I mean, you got 16 teams, man. Whether you go to eight, go to nine games or stay at eight, everybody's not playing everybody. That's just the reality of it, you know, and we're going to have some rivalries that, that get cut, but it is the way it's done now. Having 16 teams is great because it makes the SEC um, more powerful and on par with, with the Big Ten, uh, but we are going to, we're going to lose some of the tradition of, of rivalries and being Without divisions, you're going to lose um, the logistical aspect, the geography. You know, Alabama and Mississippi State probably aren't going to play every year, and they're only 60 miles apart, you know. Uh, but that's the way it is. And I don't want divisions because 16 teams is too many to have divisions. However, they're going to do it, and I know that's where a lot of the, the back and forth is on permanent uh, uh, opponents when you go to nine games. They're definitely going to be eight games in, in 2024. We know that. Uh, I think eventually they will go to nine, but you've got right now a lot. Of, you know, I think Nick Saban's saying, hey, it's not fair for us to have 
Tennessee, Auburn, and LSU every year where somebody else might get, you know, no disrespect to these schools, but their permanent opponents might be Missouri, Vanderbilt, and Ole Miss or something. You know, there's got to be, when we go back to the words competitive balance, that's also got to be not just in terms of NIL, but in terms of scheduling. And you can't overload a few of these schools just because you want to keep these traditional rivalries intact while you let some other school basically off the hook because they're getting three of the more weaker teams traditionally on their schedule, and Alabama's getting three of the more powerful teams traditionally so there's a lot to work through but uh, yeah i'm glad divisions are going away i do think eventually they'll go to nine games but it's going to be um, you know it's going to be interesting Corey, because some of these you know everybody's not going to get to play everybody like i said and you know you may keep alabama tennessee you may keep alabama auburn but alabama lsu may have to go you know uh you know uh, uh texas and arkansas may not get to play right off the bat if you want to have texas and texas a&m play so some of these rivalries that we think are traditional rivalries that you have to have you're not going to have you're not everybody's not going to get be happy and everybody's not going to get to play uh robbery games every week that's just the way it's going to be times are changing for sure but one thing that's not changing is your great coverage as the sport director at wbua and also hosting the gary harris show weekdays from 9 to 11 on tide 100.9 gary how can everyone follow all of your great coverage of the crimson tide well, I'm on Twitter at Gary Harris underscore WVUA, and I'd love for people to follow me on Twitter. I try to engage as much as I can. Also, I have a Gary Harris WVUA 23 Facebook page. You can just search for it and find me there. Uh, WVUA23.com is our website, and the radio station Tide109.com. So uh, a lot of different ways to keep up with me. I'd love for people to uh, we stream our newscast if you want to get a lot out West Alabama and Alabama local sports, 5, 6, and 10 every night. And then my radio shows 9 to 11 every morning at uh, Tide109.com, or you can download the Tide109 app. I appreciate it, guys. Gary, can't thank you enough. Have a great weekend, and always a pleasure talking with you. Gary Harris, sports director at WBUA in Tuscaloosa, joining us here on The Final Drive, and we'll be right back. This is George Pada, bench coach of the Houston Astros, and you're listening to WNFT. Welcome back to a Friday edition of the final drive here. Corey LeBounty and Michael Brauner joining you this afternoon. And Michael, if I were to ask you from a monetary standpoint, give me the top 10 franchises, the most profitable sports franchises in any sport. I don't care if it's basketball, baseball, soccer, doesn't matter. Who do you think is number one within the last three years? The Dallas Cowboys. That would be the Dallas Cowboys. Now, what, what you know, America's team is the Dallas Cowboys. I think that's one of the reasons why Jerry Jones, people want to get rid of him. The Cowboy faithful, you're not getting rid of Jerry Jones. Um, who do you think is number two? Mm, let's see if I can go two for two here. How about Manchester United? They're close. They're in the top five, according to N- Forbes. Yan- Yankees, number two. Yankees don't make the list. Wow. So Cowboys at number one over the last three years. Well, let me guess again 10. on number two. Okay. Uh, <laughs> You're going to kick yourself. Man. All right, tell me. Bronner, it is your New England Patriots. No way, really. According That's surprising. to Forbes. 
the top 10 in Forbes' most profitable sports teams. Yeah, I wouldn't think they're top five these days. How about that? NFL, Major League Baseball, NBA, NHL, and professional soccer teams. Okay? And this is according to Forbes magazine over the last three years. Your Patriots, $623 million. Okay, as far as now the Cowboys, they're they're dealing with the B. They're in the billions. That's why Jerry Jones is Jerry Jones. Yeah, I might buy the Patriots. But okay, th- let me ask you this: You mentioned Manchester United. They are at number five, so that is a top five. Is there another? You mentioned the Yankees. Yankees nowhere to be found there. But also, I'm I'm gonna throw one at you that that may kind of kind of blow you right after Manchester United are the Houston Texans <laughs> at $356 million. Huh. And after the Texans... They should, se- they should sell. <laughs> well, well you, you know, buy low, sell high. Uh, the Houston Texans... Yeah. Uh, uh, wow. That That's kind of interesting from a standpoint of the Knicks were at four, Manchester United... I never would have guessed the Houston Texans. At six, according to the top ten Forbes most profitable sports teams... At number seven, the NBA comes back into play. Who do you think it is at number seven? The most valuable franchise that's not the Knicks, is it the Dallas Mavericks? It's going to be the Golden State Warriors mm. at I number seven. I because of Mark Cuban's the richest guy. Now we'll go back to football at number eight. It's a franchise that has won its fair share of Super Bowls. Its fair share of yeah. Super Bowls. I, I, at least three. Maybe even four. Is it the Pittsburgh Steelers? New York Giants, right, mm-hmm. at $333 million. Nice. The they, Lakers, have, they have won four. The Lakers make make the top ten at nine, and Manchester City at ten. The Rams come right behind them at number 11. But I, I think that when you see and you heard me call no major league baseball franchises even the yankees was one of the first ones the historic franchise or nhl teams <laughs> and you start looking at okay football is football but the number of basketball teams with the knicks at four the warriors at seven the lakers at nine a little surprising there if you look at the top 10 and forbes most profitable sports teams and this article on CBS. I think it's pretty interesting. Stephen Torrento went ahead and published this, but $1.2 billion in three years for the Dallas Cowboys. Five o'clock hour on the final drive. Dr. Joel Erdman, athletic director for the University of South Alabama Jaguars, joins us at five o'clock. From Mobile, Sports Radio 105.5 WNSP presents 99 yards away. Win this game for one another. The final drive with Corey Labounty and Michael Bronner. Do your job and play together. The final drive. Live on 105.5 FM and streaming on the Sound of Mobile app. I cannot believe it. Hour 
hour number three of the final drive on WNSP 105.5. Corey LeBounty, along with my producer, Michael Brauner, joining you this evening. And, of course, it's that time of year to where you're wrapping up your women's softball along with your men's baseball. And those are the last sports that take place in a calendar year. And, who better than to talk to than the athletic director of the University of South Alabama, Dr. Joel Erdman, joining us this evening. Dr. Erdman, thanks for joining us. Well, absolutely. Thank you for having me. Appreciate it. Always a time to where it's very busy. Your, your schedule is always, whether it's in meetings or meeting with student athletes or academic and athletic achievement or whether it's just finding new and improved facilities, your work never rests. And, of course, South Alabama football didn't rest one year ago as they had a tremendous 10-win season and finds out that they're going to open up the season at Tulane in a nighttime game the same way they did with the bowl game. Yeah, it's uh, it certainly is a, an exciting time. You know, we, we, we actually we have uh, a, a couple student athletes still in action. We've got some uh, some folks that will be traveling to uh, Austin next week. University of Texas is hosting the Outdoor Track and Field National Championship, and we've got three young men that have a good chance of finishing at, at All-Americans. So um, we're, we're not quite done yet, but we're, we're approaching the end of the year officially. Uh, but you're, you're correct. The, the football schedule, some of the scheduled times for kickoff were released this week, and um, of note, our, our, is our opening game at Tulane, Labor Day weekend, that's Saturday, and it'll be a night kick. And uh, what a great challenge and a great opportunity for us to go uh, uh, play the defending Cotton Bowl champs. And, and for people that, that don't remember, they uh, went to Dallas last year and, and beat Southern Cal in the Cotton Bowl. So um, Coach Willie Fritz, who used to be the head coach of Georgia Southern, is doing a great job over there, but uh, we're going to be prepared, and Coach Womack is going to have the Jags ready to go, which will will be a huge game, and I think uh, a very notable game nationally. People are going to be taking, uh, you know, paying attention to that game. We're speaking to Dr. Joel Erdman, athletic director at the University of South Alabama. Dr. Erdman, I, I want to ask you about something that we've kind of been talking about all week. Obviously, with the SEC spring meetings this week, there was a lot of discussion about the eight versus nine game schedule for the SEC. I, I'm curious where you at South Alabama fall on something like that. Obviously, take, for example, probably South Alabama's biggest win in program history, a road win at Mississippi State, something that might not have been possible if the SEC were playing a nine-game schedule. So I'm just curious where, where you fell on that, if you had a, an opinion on the matter. Well, you know, I, we, we, I, I have somewhat of a biased view because um, in the upcoming year we, we have several SEC games. You know, we – we, we go to LSU, we go to Auburn, we go to Kentucky, and then we have a home-and-home home series with Old Miss at the end, I think, 28-29. And um, so, you know, whether they go with eight conference games, which they are apparently for the 2024 season, but if beyond that they, they choose to go to nine, well, then, then it's, it's – it's up to them to who they want to play in those three non-conference games. So, um, 
you know, what we will, if, if that comes to pass, um, obviously we'll have conversations with, with those institutions and those programs. And uh, hopefully we're, we're able to play. If they choose to, to not, well, then we'll have to see what our options are beyond that. But, um, you know, I, sometimes you just got to control what you can control and, and see what, what's on the horizon um, from other, other entities. Well, here recently, the Sunbelt Conference had a little bit of a conference realignment with the addition of Old Dominion, James Madison, and Southern Miss. And when you look across the country, you have Oklahoma and Texas getting ready to jump in the SEC. And I, I don't have a clue of the geography of the the Big Ten and the Pac-12 because it's, it, it's so crazy. But ha have there been any talks of any Sunbelt Conference realignment after the addition of the latest three members? Well, and, and let me let me just uh, add to that, Corey, that there was a fourth. We added Marshall. So yes. um, over the past two years, there was the addition of Southern Miss, James Madison, uh, um, Old Dominion, and Marshall. And, and so we are at 14 members, uh, all play football. Um, and and in in certain sports, it, it makes a lot of sense to, to play in divisions, and and so from a geographical standpoint, our, the Sun Belt Conference makes a lot of sense, and especially with the divisional play, and within the conference and within the divisional play, you have very close regional rivals, where where our fans and their fans can drive as little as 90 miles and within four hours of, of some great football or basketball or baseball, softball, whatever it might be. So to the great credit of, of Commissioner Gill and, and the presidents and CEOs and, and maybe some ADs here and there, um, uh, I think the Sun Belt is the strongest it's ever been and uh, in all sports, top to bottom. And, and in, specifically in the sport of football, um, we're poised to be the, in my opinion, and I think the numbers will demonstrate that, we will be battling to be the, uh, the, the best conference in the group of five nationally in the CFP rankings. So um, it is. It's, it's a great, exciting time. Uh, the upcoming football season, we're going to have some great home games. Uh, Non-conference, we've got southeastern Louisiana and central Michigan is coming to town. And then our, our conference home slate, uh, national broadcast came on a Tuesday night hosting Southern Miss. Uh, we've got Louisiana coming in on a Saturday, Arkansas State with head coach Butch Jones coming in on a Saturday. And uh, Marshall will be coming in in November. So. Some, some great home conference games. And then um, of note on the road in the conference, we, we go up the road to Troy on a Thursday night for a nationally broadcast game. So it's, it, it is. It's filled with opportunities and uh, can't wait to get there. The Vic Boobis Cup is something that all Sunbelt Conference teams strive to win. And it's something that South Alabama, I know, has taken pride in and has won its fair share of. Let our listeners know exactly what that means from a university standpoint to be considered the most elite 
team in the entire conference. Well, it, it is. It's it's an all-sports trophy, which recognizes there's a, a points calculation um, that takes into account all of the sports that play in the summer, um, where they finish in the regular season, and there's some bonus tournament play in there. And uh, it collects all of those points that are earned and crowns and uh, of which we've been very fortunate to to win uh, at a reasonable rate, and and it's named after Vic Bubis, who was the Sun Belt Conference, and before being commissioner of the Sun Belt Conference, he was head basketball coach. So that kind of you know brings that into perspective. Um, but yeah, we're very proud to have a very well-rounded. Uh, athletic program with 17 sports that all compete at a championship level and and you know we we value every sport equally and have equal expectations of each one and we've got a, a group of great head coaches and and coaching staffs and support staff and student athletes that buy into that and uh you have a culture of, of, of doing really good things and doing things the right way. So um, the Boobis Cup is something we do emphasize and point to. And when we earn it and win it, we're, we're very proud of doing so. Well, I tell you, I'm looking forward to seeing those final results and hoping that you can add another one to the trophy case at the University of South Alabama. And, and you're exactly right. I, I can't forget about the head track and field coach, my man Paul Bruski, does a, a wonderful job. And, and Paul is, is one of those guys that I, I worked with as a teenager on one of my first jobs at Discovery Zone. So Paul and I go way back. So I don't wanna I don't wanna leave Paul out at all in his tremendous accomplishments that his student athletes are going to have for having an opportunity to compete for a national championship when they go out there. But I can't thank you enough, Dr. Urban, for taking time out of your day and schedule to, to keep the Jays up and let us know what's going on in South Alabama athletics. And it's always a pleasure to talk with you. Well, thank you for the opportunity and uh, wish everybody a great weekend and go Jags, fellas. Dr. Joel Erdman, University of South Alabama Athletics Director, joining us this evening on the final drive. The final drive will be right back. And again, thanks for tuning in. You can give us a call, 251-694-1055, or you can get in touch with us on the app as well. My name is Robert Brazil. I'm from the class of 2018 Pro Football Hall of Fame. You're listening to WNSP. The final drive, it's a Friday edition. And, you know, yesterday's breaking news, I guess it's breaking news, the fact that there were going to stay at eight games in regards to how the schedule was going to work out for the SEC. And, and Michael, I don't know if, if you thought that there would be changes moving into the 2023 season. Yeah, probably not. Yeah, I, I felt that there weren't going to be any change. Even in 24, I felt like there were not going to be changes. I thought you were going to let Oklahoma and Texas get themselves settled. And it was a halfway point that was met to me by, by all parties of the universities, the presidents, the athletic directors and coaches involved. But I know that 
there's a great clip that that you were able to find and and we'll listen to that now yeah i want i'll set it up it's uh you know our friend josh pate we've had him on a couple of times before but i think he he makes a uh an interesting case here very clearly let me state i want nine league games in the sec so i'm like most people that's preferable that's what i want here's what i've seen so far i've seen a lot of the same people screaming you better play nine games in june that would also be screaming you are what your record says you are in december and i think that's what scares some people in the sec room i don't care if you're bowl eligible so that part of the argument i could i couldn't care less about i don't care how much money espn pays you that doesn't affect anyone on this call right now i couldn't care less about it but the strength of schedule argument i think has some validity now whether that's the main reason or not that's my reason because I think it's totally fair to look at that playoff committee and say, if we go to nine league games, already playing the, on average, strongest schedules in the country, are, are you going to look at two losses as two losses? Are you going to say you are what your record says you are come Selection Sunday? Or are you going to have a little wiggle room and a little bit of a better understanding that this is not pro sports? You aren't always what your record says you are. A win is not a win. A loss is not a loss. There are differing values to be placed on these things because some of us play a disproportionately tougher schedule than the others. So far, I don't hear enough nuance and context layered into that conversation to make me totally comfortable that, yeah, when we get to that point in an expanded playoff era, everyone's going to understand. And there could be a 9-3 and three in the SEC, more powerful than an 11-1 and one in whatever the Pac-12 is at that point. A very valid point by Josh Pate. And you, you'll see it. You'll see a 9-3 SEC team to where, just like in SEC baseball, the teams beat each other up. And when you start looking at when the pairings come out, yeah. you see 10 total teams be selected when it's time to start the NCAA tournament in baseball. Yeah. Same thing in football. Now, I thought it was an interesting point because it's like, I, when he says, like, the same people would make the argument, it's like the people who are probably arguing in strongest favor of, like, oh, the SEC needs to be playing, like, outside of the SEC at least, that say, like, oh, like, it's soft what the SEC is doing. They need to be playing nine conference games. They're probably the exact same people who would have said the idea of putting a two-loss Alabama in the playoff this past season is preposterous. So, you know, if you add an extra conference game in the strongest conference in America, well, I think that should be taken. Again, it's kind of all for naught once we move into a 12-team playoff era because we're at that point we're talking about a three-loss team in the playoff, but, like, that should absolutely be a possible thing, a three-loss team in the playoff. There's no reason why a team who's played against the nine-game SEC schedule shouldn't get the benefit of the doubt when being considered for a 12-team college football playoff. I, they, they absolutely should. So, I don't know. I, I wanted to play that. I thought it was an interesting point. Well, well, how long do you think outside of the college football playoffs expanding and starting off with 12? What do you, what do you think within five years of it staying at 12? Yeah. When do you think it's going to expand, expand again? Like, Absolutely. Like to, I, I, mean, the, I think the better question is what's the next number? Like, is it 16? Is it 20? What, what do you I think know. the next number should be? Uh, well, I'm a bit of a I'm a bit of a radicalist with this one. Like, if it were up to me, I'd get rid of all bowl games and and just make it kind of a giant 
24 team playoff. So, probably. so nothing, no extra revenue or no extra no, fun cause, trip. Because my argument on this is like, you know, I don't care about lining the NCAA's pocket. I don't care about the revenue it brings in. Like, I understand. For who, though? For the revenue for who? The school? Well, it's because not really as big a moneymaker for the schools as you think it is. It's more of a TV thing, and, and uh, you know, it makes the NCAA money. But that being said, like, I get it when a, when a small school, like, take, I don't know, Western Kentucky, just for example, that's honestly probably a pretty bad example because they beat the hell out of South Alabama. But uh, that was just the first one that came to mind. Like that's kind of a, that's a big deal for them going to a bowl game or like Louisiana Lafayette, who, whoever. I, I understand like what like great, it's a big deal for them. But you know, if it were up to me, you'd disband all bowl games and it would be a 24 team playoff. And then you know the whole season is kind of a battle to make it into that top twenty-four. And it's like, yeah, you, I guess you you have a shot if you make it into the top twenty-four. There are probably five, six teams in it realistically that can win. But then every postseason game actually means something, whether rather than it being uh, you know kind of a just consolation game because that's what bowl games are right now they're consolation games so i i would like as much meaningful football as possible what you that's mean the pop tart bowl is a consolation <laughs> I, game, I, I i do mean the pop tart bowl and the cheese it bowl and the and the kumbaya bowl yes they're all consolation the duke's mayo bowl they're all consolation games man they, it is what it is it's just the reality of uh college football that you know we play a lot of consolation games even even for alabama Look at them in the Sugar Bowl this year. Like, yeah, it was great to see Bryce Young and Will Anderson put on Crimson one more time and it's an opportunity to watch Alabama one more time before, you know, you can't watch them for eight months. Sure, yeah, it's great. But that being said, like, what value did Alabama get out of that game besides beating beating the heck out of a team they were clearly better than? Like, Ty Simpson should have started that game. Get a look at get a look and prepare for next year. That would be the value. I mean, they don't get any value out of Bryce besides, like, moral, like, oh, like, that's cool. Like Numbers, I, I, man. Man, I loved watching it. I enjoyed watching it. But at the same time, it's like, what? It, it doesn't do anything for Alabama. The result's the same. Win or lose, you no, win or lose not that game. Win or lose, I, it is. Lose that game and watch what happens, Mike. Lose that game, watch what happens. How are you in a different situation this year than you were last year? I, w- I will say this to your fan base: you, Gene Stallings says lose one, pick one. It doesn't matter. Well, would, would Nick Saban have been fired? Like obviously, no. obviously not. But again, you're you're talking about not wanting to damage your your product. Nobody wants to throw it in, just throw the towel in in a bowl game. And, and it's been said that Alabama's done that before, whether it was Utah, Utah and the Oklahoma. fact that they weren't happy there. And I, I don't know that, you know, you, you can display your frustration by throwing the towel in. Sometimes you just get your tail kicked, man, when you go to these bowl games. Sometimes that team is hungrier than yeah. you are. And and that's why you have the matchups because, again, you said 24 teams. That That's the magic sure. number you would like. Yeah, I so, just so threw that why, one So why would it be the top 25? Well, I mean, 24 just so it's an even number. Like I kinda, yeah, It would double what the current so, system so is going to be. So somebody's going to get left out again. Yeah, I mean, so, well, yeah, here's the thing. Someone's going to get left out no matter what the number is. Like someone's got to be that last team that didn't make it. Someone absolutely. gets left out of the Mar- of March Madness, even though there's 68 teams in it. You know, there were there were te- Ru- look at Rutgers but, and Clemson. Teams get screwed every NIT year. NIT is a great consolation. Sure. So, but, so to not have bowls or outside of even a 24-team playoff, 
You, what are you? You're just telling other teams, yeah, just pack your jerseys up and go home. Honestly, uh. the NIT, I, it's probably the first time I've heard that comparison. It's a great comparison, really. Like, that's like what the Tax Slayer Gator Bowl essentially is. It's like you're playing in the NIT. I don't think it needs to exist, but I guess it's cool for a school like North Texas to go win the NIT. Like, that's a big deal for them. It's a big deal for UAB to go to the championship of the NIT. I, so, sure, like, may, maybe keep some of those smaller bowls in existence, but I don't need to see the like this big high if you want to make them like semifinal playoff matchup, sure, but I don't need to see this like hyped up Rose Bowl that's ultimately just a hyped up consolation game. I it just it just doesn't do anything for me. Like I'll watch it because it's college football, and if it's Alabama, especially I'll watch it because it's the last chance to watch Alabama before you're not going to get to watch it. I just my thoughts on this have always been the same. I just like it doesn't do anything for me to see Baylor take on Ole Miss in the Sugar Bowl and Matt Corral gets hurt when he's trying to play and when he's trying to get ready for the draft. I I don't know, man. I but the I odds just wish of people getting hurt. Why? Well, it's just it's a football you, I mean, game. You have what 40, 45, 50 bowls and you people are going to get hurt. Yeah, absolutely. I yeah. mean, you you get out the tub, you slip and fall, what have not. Well, I mean, yeah, you can get hit by a bus crossing the street. Exactly. Like sure, but so, <laughs> so you've seen weirder situations for injuries, but I, I think that eliminating all bowls to me, that that's not what you want to do. All right, well, maybe we can come to a compromise here. I don't know. I just, like, a 7-5 and five team doesn't deserve a postseason, in my opinion. I, it's just, I don't think, I think if you Does had a, a five-win team deserve a bowl? Of course no. not. No. I, I just, think six is fair because you're right at a 12-game schedule, so that's very fair. All right, seven. Uh, yeah, you 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 deserve something. If you want to keep some lowly bowls, like fine. I just like make it a big as big a playoff as possible. Twenty four teams. Then you have as much meaningful playoff football as possible. And then I guess all the big New Year's Six bowls are eventually uh, playoff bowls whenever we get to the quarterfinals or whatever whatever it, it becomes. I don't know what the math would break down to there. I just hate these, like, supremely hyped up. And, again, I watched Alabama gladly in the Sugar Bowl. I just, like, like what's what's the difference, really, for Alabama winning the Sugar Bowl versus losing the Sugar Bowl? There, it really isn't. Like, they're preparing for next year without Bryce Young regardless. So, I don't know. I, I just wish that game like had meant something if it was a bit hey if it was a big playoff it would have been a playoff game so you know that's always been my thoughts on that without question every game that you play in the postseason is a big game because you have an extra opportunity for practices you have an extra opportunity for recruiting purposes so you extend the actual life of your season which is what you want to do and to say well you know what if, a, if there is a 24 playoff team after it spans from 12, you say go 12 to 24. There's, yeah, it'll, there's go, it'll go to 16 next yeah, it, if, if I was making an actual prediction. On there's definitely going to be criticism of it because people had a problem when you had four. You know, people wanted, okay, who's one versus two? Who's the true one versus two? There was always that debate. Well, I'll tell you what, uh, you know, and, and something I've learned that's, that's going to just – you know, has made life a lot simpler. People are gonna have a problem with with, <laughs> with pretty much anything. So, you know, the people complaining, you know, shouldn't be the deterrent there because the people value, are gonna complain. People love to complain. So. But but the value is is what you're looking at. The value that you're bringing the student athletes to allow them to participate in a postseason bowl to to get that extra swag to get an opportunity sure. to travel to to sure. places that they normally because I love it in in December. 
when teams come down here to Mobile, Alabama, when it's probably negative 12 degrees from where you live in a northern climate and you come down here and it could possibly be anywhere from 65 to 70 degrees depending on how bold bipolar the weather why do you think I, why do you think i chose to stay in the <laughs> south instead of going back to new jersey it's just the great opportunity for those student athletes to expand their horizons and, and i think they're deserving on postseason bowls on the other side of this break we'll talk with trent massey future ones does great things athletically with apparel and they're the official apparel provider of WNSP. We'll talk to Trent Massey next. Hey, this is Jimmy Ripple from Gator Boys and you're listening to WNSP on 105.5. Music can only mean one thing. That's the Future Ones theme song music here on the final drive on WNSP 105.5. And it's that time of year to where coaches are in need of spirit packs, cheerleaders are in need of summer cheer items, and of course, the brand new shoes, your school shoes that have your school logo on them can also be ordered through future ones trent massey joins us from future ones trent good evening how are you doing my friend man doing great how are you guys doing today man absolutely too blessed to be stressed and you know i, I know for a fact that when coaches go to look at uniforms for the upcoming season there's nothing even better than when you can say you can buy one set get one free and you can purchase one set of fall uniforms and get another one for free so you can get you a home and away or when they celebrate breast cancer awareness there in october or whether they have a camouflage night to am to honor the military future ones can do it all yeah, we, we do have that special for football this year. Um, it's pretty much a buy one, get one free. A lot of coaches use that for home and away, like you said. And then there are some that just need to replace one of those sets and then get an alternate set, maybe a charcoal jersey. You know, a lot of people are doing that these days. But, yeah, we, uh, you know, we do the best we can as a company to provide the best quality products out there that can compete with anything for a much lower price. And that's just, you know, something we've decided to do to, to help these uh, coaches and schools, you know, look good, but also save money at the same time. I was just talking to a coach the other day. They actually showed us some of their prices they were getting. And, you know, you literally can buy two complete sets of uniforms from us for less than it costs for one set for, you know, a quote name brand, you know, a Nike Under Armour or Adidas uniform. So. And uh, as far as quality goes, I put ours up against any of them, and you know we're uh, we're just doing a, we're we're doing the best we can to really get in that marketplace and let these coaches see the quality, see the you know the customization that we have versus a lot of other companies out there. So it's uh, it's it's going really well, getting into a lot of schools all over the state and all over the country. To be honest, we're getting calls from everywhere. 
fully sublimated. You offer screen printing. You offer, you can do polos. You can do shoes. You can do socks. You can also do equipment because no one's playing any of these games without equipment. And it's that time of year also where you have travel ball and you have AAU basketball. You can get book bags. You can get socks. You can get the whole nine from future ones. Yeah, man, you said it. I mean, it's pretty much uh, we, we now have football cleats that are fully customizable with the school's logo and colors so that uh, schools can not just have, like, one color cleat. Now they have their cleat, football cleat, their logos on it. And so, um, you know, that's just uh, one thing that we do. The, the shoes as well, we have three different styles of shoes that um, teams can buy to wear. Um, even if businesses wanted some uh, customized shoes with their, you know, information or their logo or anything like that, we've done that for some businesses. So, yeah, man, we we uh, if you think you need it and can come up with an idea, we can pretty much pull it off. So we love to love to help anybody out. Well, how can people reach out and learn more about the Future Ones and the team sales and the apparel that is provided? Of course, Future Ones being an official cloth provider and athletic apparel provider of the AHSAA. Man, the best way is probably email sales at futureones.com. Obviously, you can go to the website at futureones.com. And then also our phone number is 877-583-583. 0747. So, uh, yeah, look us up, send us an email, give us a call. We'd love to help you out in anything you need. 877-583-0747 is how you can reach out to Trent and Gus at Future Ones and also sales at future with the number one with the S on it dot com sales at future ones dot com is how you can check out the catalog and all of the apparel and athletic merchandise that you can purchase from future ones. Always a pleasure catching up with you, Trent, man. Have an outstanding weekend and be safe. You too, Corey. Have a good weekend. See you. Trent Massey. Future Ones ambassador talking to us. And we, we love rocking our Future Ones gear yeah. here. And, and, of course, at our next outing, we'll continue to give away these Future Ones WNSP T-shirts that about, we have. About to, uh, believe, pick up a new batch next week. So big thanks to Trent there. Uh, you know, we got about seven or eight minutes left. But I do want to uh, tell you all slash plug about Something I wrote about today on the WNSP website. Obviously, uh, Mark Sears and Javon Quinterly coming back. I think it's going to be a big weekend for in the transfer portal for, for Alabama. There's rumors that Grant Nelson, North Dakota State, could be on campus as soon as this weekend. Alabama also battling for Arthur Kaluma forward from Creighton. Jaron Stevenson, top recruit who might be, he's a 24 class, but might be reclassifying. They're battling with him for, with, uh, for him with UNC. So all three. I mean, obviously, we talked about with Gary Harris earlier. Alabama's backcourt in pretty good shape. Honestly, might have too many guys, but the front court is kind of in complete shambles. I'm a big fan of Nick Pringle as well, but they need to add more. So you know, if they can land one or two out of Nelson, Kaluma, and Stevenson, I, I I might go full delusion mode and and back and back to thinking Alabama could defend an SEC title. I, I don't know. I mean, Quinterly and Sears is big, obviously, but. You know, you can. There's still three open roster spots on this team. Well, I'll tell you what is not open is 
the fact or it's open for debate is before game one of the NBA Finals last night, the commissioner, Adam Silver, had a chance oh. to have his press conference oh, and, and kind of chimed in a little bit. And, you know, for those that are, are Memphis Grizzly fans and, and like Ja Morant, he said he wasn't going to speak on it because he didn't want to take away from the shine shining of the, of the light on, on the Nuggets in the Heat series. But I, I think that he's definitely going to make a decision here that shortly after the conclusion of the finals. Well, the decision's been outcome. made. I it was it was very weird. He said like, yeah, we've we've gathered a lot more information and we probably have enough to make a decision right now, but we don't want to overshadow the final it was very we it was like i saw the joke floating around on twitter it was basically like all right tune in next season to find out what happened with john ja morant very very no, strange I, I will say this i i think that i, I respect the commissioner's I mean, decision I, I to guess wait i i, I do too because in it's principle gonna, it's, the headlines are going to supersede the nba finals. i, I agree to happen. and I, so i agree with it in principle and i guess he was probably at, i didn't see the question i i'm assuming he was asked directly about it like someone, someone in the uh, in the media room probably asked him what's going on with the John Morant situation. It wasn't just him like coming out and making that statement, but like he could have just said, "We're still gathering information. We'll we'll make an announcement at a later date." Very odd to say, like, "Yeah, we've made a decision. We're just not telling you now." I I don't know. I man, I I'll tell you what. I'm I'm in no rush to give Adam Silver any kind of benefit of the doubt. You know, I can't stand Adam I, Silver. I'm, I'm going to give him the benefit of the doubt because he did say the history of prior acts and the individual player's history would factor into any sort of punishment. Well, that just lets me know. That if you can sit in front of your boss and, and tell him that, hey, look, everything's kosher, everything's on the up and up, and then less than a month and a half later, the commissioner has to find out, no, things ain't kosher. You, you sat and lied to me in my face on a one-on-one -on -one sit down. So what are we I thinking? Uh, what are we thinking? This punishment's gonna be? I, I think half the season. I think half of the NBA season, the Memphis Grizzlies will be without Ja Morant. Yeah, and I, that's why I he didn't want to make the announcement. Yeah, no, I, it would obviously overshadow, you know, for a day, it would overshadow the NBA Finals, but I don't know. I just thought it was very odd. <laughs> like, yeah, we, we know what we're going to do, but I can't tell you now. Uh, you know, he could have given a way more political, like, we're still gathering information. We'll we'll, uh, we'll address this at a later time in the offseason. I, I don't know. Uh, but whatever, it's kind of semantics, not really worth getting worked up over. You no, just don't really I, see that in sports. You, you do what's best as a commissioner. You do what's best for your league and for your brand. And in this situation, Adam Silver, I guarantee all the talk shows today, instead of they would have instead of having a, a, a three and a half to four minute highlight reel, there'd have been a two minute highlight reel. And then they would have gone to the John Morant story or suspension. Because the man's shoes sold out within a matter of moments as soon as Nike released them. You, you can't find a pair of John ja Morant. I know all the kids in the EYBL can't find a pair now because uh, I think Nike pulled the shoe. No, but yeah. no, it, they did not pull the shoe. Oh, I thought they. I, I thought they did. No, that's what I'm telling you, Bronner. There has 
as soon as he put it up, as soon as it went on sale, it was gone. So have they put up a new minutes. shoe in in the last like yes. three weeks? Okay, so I misunderstood what you were saying. I, yes, my, my they bad released on that. his new shoe in time for all these summer league basketball leagues, huh. and now you've got them sold out in a matter of moments. As soon as they went on sale, all his shoes were gone. So. It's an interesting situation and something to follow there, but <laughs> as soon as very the NBA Finals, I, 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 it's not going to be odd once he gets half a season. That's for sure. Yeah. Because you know, 82 games, I don't think he'll see a whole year, but I think half his season and and some of his money is going to be taken away from him. And I know when we get back from this break, I, I want to ask you, Michael Broner, a question about donuts. Today is National Donut mm. Day, so I want to make sure. I, I, I keep you on your toes with donuts and what's your favorite donut? We'll get it. Uh, we got three minutes left. I we'll see if that's enough time for a whole donut debate, but because I got some passionate thoughts there. There we go. We'll get after it here and we'll bring a conclusion to the final drive on this Friday edition. Corey LeBounty and Michael Bronner. Hi, this is Monty Burke, author of Saban, The Making of a Coach. You're listening to WNSP Sports Radio 105.5 FM. Welcome back to the final segment of Friday's Final Drive. I want to thank Q Myers for joining us this evening, along with Rick Cauley, the head coach of the Davidson Warriors, Gary Harris from WVUA in Tuscaloosa, Dr. Joel Erman, the athletic director at South Alabama, and of course, Trent Massey from Future Ones. And of course, if you miss any of today's show, you can go back and listen to our podcast, WNSP Now. And to headline today, of course, we talked about Auburn versus Penn that will be playing one another at Plainsman Park at 6 o'clock p.m. And then you have Alabama playing Nichols at 6. And then the Women's College World Series tonight, 6 o'clock p.m., Alabama and Stanford. And, of course, today Nick Saban received a verbal commit from the top running back in the class of 2025. Anthony Turbo Rogers from IMG Academy is verbally committing to Alabama. And also, don't forget Frank Vogel. That name rings a bell because he was once LeBron James head coach at the Los Angeles Lakers. Looks like he's going to make a deal and get in with the Phoenix Suns. So we'll see how that transpires. But before the break, I, I was asking you, Michael, first of all, I know you're, you're a northerner, so <laughs> Dunkin' Donuts. I don't know what that has to do with anything. Well, well because you got to understand. You're coming into this conversation a little hostile. Yeah, regionally, <laughs> Dunkin' Donuts is is not something that down here, we're Krispy Kreme people in the South. Fair enough. We didn't know anything about Dunkin' Donuts until they went ahead and invaded the market down here a few years ago. And Which one do you like better, Dunkin' Donuts or Krispy Kreme? Uh, I think it depends. Depends what you're looking for. Call coffee, definitely Dunkin' Donuts. But uh, you know, it's it's hard to beat a, a hot glaze from Krispy Kreme. That's uh, it's pretty it's pretty great stuff. I love Krispy Kreme, but you know, this National is not Donut Day, Bronner. Oh, uh, is that for me a free donut? It w w you can go get you a free donut, mm. and I will say this: I might go get me. A free How donut. many donuts do you think the Major League Eater ate today in the 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 Donut eating contest they, in eight minutes. Was that Krispy Kreme? It, it, just a donut. 
I, what kind of? I need to know what kind of donut to anything uh, with glazed on it in the circle shape would we'll be call considered it, we'll a call donut. it a, a comparative to a Krispy Kreme glazed donut. I think he probably ate, and how many in what period eight of time? Minutes. Eight, eight minutes. minutes. Yeah. I think he probably ate like seventy five of them. Man, that would have been amazing. <laughs> Fifty nine and a half donuts. I guess not everyone's Joey Chestnut. There you go. In eight minutes. How many could you eat in eight minutes? Man, I, Krispy Kreme. I savor the flavor, brother. Yeah. I, I just try. All to right, eat. I, all right. No, t- no time limit. How many? How many in a sitting do you think you could take down? Man, a whole dozen. A dozen, easy. Yeah, uh, especially that, that would be hot. That would be easy. A dozen, easy yeah. of Krispy Kreme because I'm, I personally love Krispy Kreme over Dunkin' Donut. Now I will say this. I like the, a the jelly. donut holes are pretty good. I like a jelly donut though. What kind? What flavor jelly though? Oh, it doesn't. I mean, I I don't think you order specific. If you're pulling up to the Dunkin' window, I don't and ask for a jelly donut. They're not gonna ask you what flavor man, jelly you, you want. Lemon raspberry, brother. Oh, uh, if you're, you're a, if, a you're, donut if, if you're if you're man. at Chris, if you're at Krispy Kreme, yeah, there there there's a couple I, of I'm different ones. You're not a donut All right, fair enough. Krispy Kreme is better than Dunkin' Donuts. Fine, you got me. But I like a raspberry. But yes, there you go. If I'm not getting fancy. I'm just going to the Dunkin' next to my house. I'll just ask for a jelly donut, and they'll give me a jelly donut. But, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I, Dunkin's not as fancy with it. They don't offer a lot of donut choices. But, yeah, no, I, if I'm pulling up the Krispy Kreme, oh, like a, like a hot raspberry jam, mm, that'd be good. Well, James Webb, 59 and a half donuts today in eight I think, minutes. I think I can beat that. Y- would you try? <laughs> can, can we get you ready for next year's competition? Uh, that's a lot of donuts to prepare for next year's competition. I'm trying to like not eat donuts, but <laughs> <laughs> if the hot lights on, then I, I get notifications on my phone all the time about the hot light being you on. You got the Krispy notification Kreme. of your phone. Absolutely. Oh, that's dangerous. It's like if you're in the area, hot lights it on. Oh, might as time. might as well stop. <laughs> Man, I'm telling you, listen, it can be two or three o'clock in the morning <sighs> on a weekend, and, and and you'll see that that notification Dang. came on your phone. You'd scroll down and be like, "Man, what? Oh, I got a notification." Is that at two is that a thing today? Like free donuts? Hey, brother, a donut is what you a, can go a get. A donuts free? Go get what you a donut. What if you have like two or three people in the car? Like, can you each get a free donut? You you better you better say look. One at a time, go in and get them one so they can enjoy. <laughs> but I agree with the, the user. The Government Street location of Krispy Kreme oh. should still be open. Oh, I'm going to get I'm gonna get me a donut later. It, you can't go wrong, brother. It's National Donut Day, and it's been a great week. I know it's been a short work week, but we always have a blast here on the final drive. We want to thank you all for tuning in and joining us. Thank all our great guests, and we'll be back Monday. Will Alabama Auburn survive? We'll see. Also, NBA Finals this weekend. Don't want to miss the final drive on Monday.